For all of you who listen to Mackie Second Floor Studios Presents Submersion and own an Android device, do me a favor. Go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android device. I use the app, and I love it. I can search for the podcasts I want to listen to, select them as favorites, and have them all just a click away. Make sure to set Mackie's Second Floor Studios as a favorite so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic app, available on Android devices. Episode 25, guys. Woo! Woo! It's uh, It's been a while. Sorry to our faithful listeners. We've been gone. We have been. Vacationing around. Uh, you know, most of us just jet skiing about um, most of the time, right? That's what you were up to? Me? Yeah. yeah. I know. I was living in the wilderness literally for about a week. Seeing meese everywhere? Yeah. That's that's what Jamie's referring to as a moose. But right. yes. <laughs> and I went, I went back home and laid in the sun, some fun in the sun, and just like biked, ran, walked active day after day got this super nice tan i'm golden brown right now you I'm wouldn't like believe a, how tan this guy i'm is. like a god so yeah i came back to studio's <laughs> abs did you go on vacation what the hell yeah multiple now instead of just the one yes yeah abs <laughs> Ron, what have you been up to yeah. man well not a whole lot uh as most of my family and friends will know i've been battling stage four bronchitis and pharyngitis and laryngitis and stage uh, four what does that what does that mean it's spread to the rest of your body i don't know i just wanted to sound like i've been going through some ordeal it sounds like you have <laughs> yeah it really does any no. other jitises you didn't catch meningitis after uh in enemy hands yeah. I, I might i might have caught a little a little bit of that from that movie uh over the the airwaves but uh mainly just the upper respiratory itises yeah, it sounds like you still got it going. Is it still yeah, going? Definitely wow. still going. Because you, I mean, we went on vacation for like two weeks, and before that, you were you didn't you couldn't do like an episode because of it. Yeah, I was able. I, I remember I was able to call in and give my review of uh, the Life Aquatic. Right. Oh, he was there. Yeah, he yeah, was on that episode. very briefly. Right. I and, was hacking yeah, yeah. a lot. It sounded very <laughs> nasal. Yeah, <laughs> sounded like a character yeah. of myself, but. Uh, so soon, yeah. I mean, hopefully you get over it and you, we won't be pouring one out and, and honoring, what was it from uh, Steel Sharks? For apps and friends. For apps and friends, like yes. we do with Mustard Man, rest in peace. R.I.P. Yep. <laughs> so it's just us three tonight. Yep. We do have a, an interview with an expert. Mr. Eric Marino is back on. And if you're looking for somebody awesome to follow on Twitter, his handle is KingNeptune767, all one word. He's also the moderator slash co-creator of the R Submarines subreddit. It's a pretty good subreddit. It's got a lot going on. It does have a lot going on. It's pretty great. And we get a lot of good information from him. He was on our U571 episode. And yeah, we talk about nukes, submarine Ooh. cables, typhoons, and a couple upcoming sub movies. Really? Yeah. Do you want to spoil you don't want to spoil it though? No, no, no. You got to get through the rest of all this. Yeah, I got to hear about it. Stuff. I was going to ask which ones they are, but now I got to listen to the episode. Just jump yeah. forward like one hour and five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> to all our listeners. Yes. That's probably the best way to do it. Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're not too rusty. Ready to do some. I'm, I was a little worried that I wouldn't be able to be like right on with my uh, dick jokes, but spoiler <laughs> alert, I am. Don't worry about it, guys. Definitely getting some dick jokes in. Dive, 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 dive. 
You can tell we're rusty because it took me forever to find that on yeah, my phone. <laughs> I, had to, I had to do some improv about dick jokes. Yes. It's tough, but someone's got to do it. What began as an innocent conversation among friends would soon spiral out of control and later be referred to by future generations as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Mac East Second Floor Studios takes you on the journey of your lifetime as your captains, Alex the Mustard Man, the artist formerly known as Brom, Jamie the Brain, Kyle El Capitan, and Zach the Backbone present Submersion. So yeah, what did we watch, Brom? Well, this uh, this week we watched uh, a, a adventure of a uh, amphibious vehicle that uh, took a tour through the human body at the microscopic level. We watched the Magic School Bus. That's right. Ooh. <laughs> we could, isn't that a? It is kind of a submarine in a lot of the cases. Yeah, it's totally a submarine. They have a periscope on that and everything. Yeah, but Brum's joshing. We really watched the 1966 classic film, Fantastic Voyage, or as Charles Barkley would say, a Buntastic Voyage. What? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's what he says. That's what he sounds like on his TNT uh, stuff, TNT like NBA show. The Buntastic, this is Buntastic game. It's terrible. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> okay. People know this joke. It's good. Okay. I just made a good okay. joke. Don't we'll worry leave about it in this. there. No, we'll, you will leave that in there. Yeah, I won't edit that out. Mm-hmm. I promise. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this stars Stephen Boyd as mm. Grant, Raquel Welch as Cora, yep. Edmund O'Brien as Dr. Michaels, William Redfield as Captain Bill Owens, and Arthur Kennedy as the insane Dr. Duvall. That's right. And Stephen Boyd, I just actually just saw him, and when he was the main villain in um, the movie, the truly classic film Ben-Hur, the 1957 or something like that, uh, film Ben-Hur, and he was amazing in it. He's so good in that film. I, I, He's the type of villain that you watch five seconds of him and like, I want this guy, this piece of shit to die. Oh, really? And then you wait the whole film for him to get like the, the comeuppance that you've been waiting for because he sucks. Which one was and that? And then uh, Ben-Hur. You know what, yeah, what? What what actor was this? Oh, that was Stephen Boyd. That was the uh, that was the the hero, our guy. main character, huh? yeah, Grant, yeah, yep. the guy who was just like rugged, good looks. Like he looks like they carved him to be a actor, like mm-hmm. a movie star. And then uh, Raquel Welch, this was her um, debut, uh, feature debut. She, I guess, was identified during a like a pageant or something, like a beauty pageant or something. Hmm. Producer's wife saw her and was like, "She's beautiful. She should be in your next picture." And they put her in Fantastic Voyage. And she was actually quite good. I liked her in it. Yes. No, she was. Yeah, she was very good. For so being, for, for her first film, I would say she was doing pretty well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, this movie was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Effects, Sound Effects. And it even won two. It won Best Art Direction. Set decoration color. Oh, wow. And best effects, special visual effects. I'm not sure where you're getting these Oscar. <laughs> like, I know. I was best like, effects, special visual effects. I think that I feel like that's the thing they say when someone's on stage. Like, and the award for best effects, visual special special visual effects. Like that's what they say. I know. Like, I thought it was weird. And I was like, well, I know the categories change over time. I think they just so, call it special effects. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. But uh, so to put this in perspective. Well, I guess we'll go into that later when we talk yeah. about the effects. You can see some of the things I have in my notes there. Yeah, yeah no, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was directed by Richard Fle- How do you say that? Fleischer? Fleischer. You yeah. know how bad I am with names. Yeah. He also directed 
Conan the Destroyer. Now, Conan the Barbarian featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great movie. I really love that film. Mm-hmm. Conan the Destroyer is kind of a piece of shit. But yeah, yeah it's fine. Uh, Dr. Doolittle, not yep. the Eddie Murphy one. No, not the Eddie Murphy one. A uh, movie called Mandingo. That seems unpleasant. And a little submarine movie that we all know and love, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Wait, what? He, he also directed that one? Yes. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Sounds okay. like there's a easy phantom zone coming up here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Let's get into this. Start that timer because we got to- Boom. Yeah, actually, maybe up it to like 45 minutes because we're going to talk long. Actually, I'm going to send it to 22 so we don't have a whole lot of time. Wait, you did it even shorter this time? Well, it's just a minute. Oh, my God. We can do it. (laughs) All right. So we open and we open with, uh, I mean, you have it in the the prologue there where they say like, oh, we're indebted to the many doctors, technicians, and research scientists whose knowledge and insight helped them guide this production, which I actually believe, I think that's probably fairly accurate because this was, I don't think a lot of people knew, had enough knowledge to be able to produce the visuals necessary for having someone be shrunk miniature and go into a human body and right like that. so they probably needed some help with that and then we get a little intro where uh, uh, uh Stephen boyd is kind of um getting this guy to uh, some handlers um you get the sense that it's the u.s government is getting this scientist or this person from Stephen boyd and uh trying to take him to safety and in the process of taking to the safety they uh, get rammed into by a car it's mm-hmm. almost like uh, there's a whole bunch of movies like this where they're transporting like a prisoner or whatever. And then like out of nowhere, a car smashes into stuff, explodes, and they're able to, uh, they kind of injure the uh, the doctor person that they were right, the, trying the to VIP. save. Yeah, the VIP. Um, but they're able to get them to safety. They kill all the people who are trying to kill them and uh, get the guy to safety. But he's been apparently hurt in the process. Yes. He's in a coma now. Yeah. And this, because he did hit his head, he even has a blood clot in his brain now. Yeah. So he's, he's Dr. Jan Benes and he's been working, um, for the Soviets, uh, and, or, or for East Germany or something. And he's been able to, uh, uh, well, anyways, we'll, we'll get to what he was able to do, but they bring Stephen Boyd back and basically are like, you're going to be part of this special project. And he's like, oh, what's the special project? Like, we'll come with me to this, like, you know, special you know, department and the department's we called need to save his life. Yeah, basically. So, they, so he starts taking him to this big, big government d- department called the CMDF combined miniature deterrent forces. Did you hear what uh, Grant said, Stephen Boyd, Grant said right before this, he's, he looks at that and he's like, I don't mean to be inquisitive, but this CMDF for all I know, it could stand for the consolidated mobilization of delinquent females. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, what a zinger. FBI. For all I know, this could be female body inspector. The whole place looked like uh, Austin Powers, I thought. The underground base for Dr. Evil. It was a little bit. I thought that too when they're driving around in the car. It was was a little like pre-ironic irony of this kind of stuff. It's almost like Tango and Cash for cop movies where they made it in all seriousness, but now you watch it and you're like, this is hilarious because of how serious you're taking this. Yeah. Uh, But And this is kind of like pre-irony of something like that where it's like it's this ridiculous acronym that really wouldn't be the case they wouldn't make that be the acronym and the whole place looks pretty ridiculous everyone's like scooting around on scooters and like golf carts and stuff like that it's supposed to be helmets and all that yeah it's supposed to be this crazy top secret super efficient like government entity that is battling it for the in the cold war against the soviets and they have a very secret well it's not super secret weapon i guess because the soviets have it too yeah but they have a shrink machine you couldn't even call it a shrink ray 
but they can reduce things down to size. But the biggest problem they have is it can only stay miniaturized for 60 minutes. And this is exactly one of those things 60 where, minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is one of those things where later they'd be like, this is idiotic. Like we need to change this. But mm-hmm. like the fact that it can only stay for exactly 60 minutes, an arbitrary unit yeah. of time that was invented, like <laughs> has nothing to do with like science or anything really. Right. I mean, so like, it makes no sense that it would be exactly 60 minutes. And yet it, they don't even care. They're like, yes, it's exactly 60 minutes. We have to make this, the stakes of this movie set in stone 60 minutes. Yes. But the scientist that they were trying to bring in yeah. has the key to unlock right. whatever it is so Venice, that's yeah. limiting this to 60 minutes. And you could stay shrunk. Indefinitely, I guess. I guess, but you probably wouldn't want to. Probably not. But uh, <laughs> unless you were trying to do some nefarious thing or something like that. I don't or know. You'd be really tiny. What you'd be, be really doing? tiny, but like it's like Ant-Man, but I guess he can, he can go back and forth, right? I've never seen it. Me neither. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Got the sequel so coming the scientist, out. Yeah, so, so, yeah. Not John a Bennis, <laughs> Not a sponsor. No. Uh, but yeah, Jan Bennis basically, he, he discovered it for in the Soviet Union or in East Germany or something like that. And he doesn't want to give it to them. He's realized the error of his ways. <laughs> they're, they're godlessness. Get out of here. Uh, like he wants to give it to those God-fearing Americans. And so that's why he's come over to kind of help us out. But, you know, because he's in this coma, they can't get the information out. So they're going to use the machine that they were go- are going to fix with this guy to miniaturize some doctors to do an operation to fix them so they can miniaturize people for longer. But, and now you think, well, what's Stephen Boy doing here? He's not a scientist. He's not anything. He was the handler who got the guy here. Mm-hmm. Well, they have two doctors who are there. One is like a vascular specialist played by Donald Pleasance and then uh, from ha- uh, Halloween fame. And then uh, this other guy, doctor, what was his name? The, the guy they thought, Devers, right? Duval. Duval. Uh, and uh, yeah, Duval. And he's he's more of like the scientists he made like a laser he's like the specialist for destroying this clot Mm -hmm. and him and his assistant the beautiful Raquel Welsh um are there but they think that Duval who's kind of like a wild card he's almost like me in this group of of guys like I'm kind of like the wild card party animal (laughs) and you know you're just not sure I'm gonna do right we have no idea right I could betray you and so that's why we have Brom here to kind of like keep track and you're more like donald planet pleasance in this situation i am i'm paranoid yeah and you're also i am you're you're bald as can be you got like a total egghead yeah it's crazy any of those pictures <laughs> that i have online yeah total false hair I'm piece total falsity yeah i'm wearing yeah. a wig yeah and i got a good deal of toupees right you got you i you are, make one for you you're you totally want. bald on top but you have a full beard like you act you have not that that is no problem no yeah that's how it works, actually. Is that I think right, I read, usually? well, I read, you know, on the internet, because right. everything's true. Uh, if you can grow a better beard, you are more likely to go bald. So yeah. when mm-hmm. I'm, what I'm told by people close to me hmm. that I have a shitty beard, I think, well, okay, at least, at least I'll have bald. some hair. Yeah. So I'd spend the next 20 minutes talking about this yeah. on Beardcast. Welcome to Beardcast. <laughs> I definitely can. I actually did some <laughs> research as I uh, am unable to grow facial hair. Oh, good. <laughs> but you have a full head of hair, right? I do. Yeah. There we go. So does, so does my dad. And uh, my brother is uh, mid-40s now. He doesn't uh, have facial hair either. Does he have a lot of hair? Yep. Perfect wow. head of hair. This, is a, this isn't even N equals one. This is N equals three at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> they have a new s- theoretical submarine. Now, this is Submersible Month. They claim this is a submarine. It is... You think, it's a sub- you think it's a submersible. Now, the only thing is, what's the definition of a submersible? Just size? I don't know. Brom, can you look that up? 
Sure, I'll work on it. I feel like maybe a submersible is something that's launched from another, like a ship or something like that. And now this would truly be a submarine. But for the sake of this month of submersibles, we're still going to call this a submersible because it's quite small. But anyway, it's called the Proteus and they've made it to, it's all theoretical. And the idea is that it's going to be able to go into the human body. They're going to shrink everyone and they're going to inject them into the human body. What's that? I got it. Yeah, what's that? All right. The submersible is often used to differentiate from underwater underwater vehicles known as submarines, and that a submarine is a fully autonomous craft capable of renewing its own power and breathing air, whereas a submersible is usually supported by a surface vessel, platform, shore team, or Uh-oh. something larger. See? Oh, so, there we go. Shit. So, we have fucked it all up. Let's uh, wrap this up. We'll, uh, well, I guess we throw this <laughs> in the garbage, right? Yeah. End of this one. Total trash. Or, you know what? Tender, that, tender an apology to Eric Murray. We, <laughs> we already watched it. <laughs> yeah. Apology to Eric. We're going to throw away his, uh, his <laughs> interview as well, since it was attached to this garbage. Yes. Um, so, anyways, they're going to be reducing this uh, theoretical submarine uh, to microbe size or smaller than microbe size um, and give them an hour to reach this clot and be able to shoot it away with a laser. Mm-hmm. Sounds well, they, foolproof. No but they deal. also do a lot of uh, good things. I think they do a lot of uh, CYA type stuff. That stands for cover your ass. Nice. Um, and they have – this is nuclear powered. Right. And they're using this tiny nuclear molecule. Yep. And everybody's – well, Grant is like, well, how are how's anybody going to know where we're at? And they're like, oh, well, it's just like any other radioactive isotope in the body. We can track it. Right. It's like, wow. They really were thinking about a lot of stuff when they made this movie. Well, you'll see in my notes that while they did think about a lot of different stuff, uh, Isaac Asimov, who wrote the, the novelization of this uh, film, I thought they did not do a good enough job. There were some big things that – should have been taken care of, but they weren't. Yeah. So anyways, I, I did enjoy the portion of them where they shrunk it to the size where they were going to be able to do inject it because they started out in this big su- submarine and then they get reduced down to a certain size and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And they bring this thing over to kind of like pick it up. And they love this machine. Yeah. So this yeah. machine, and I presumably, I presumed it was because the the, the submarine still weighed like a huge amount of, uh, of weight or whatever, because you didn't really lose all that much match. So they needed this machine to lift this tiny thing. But uh, I don't know if that was right. Or maybe it was just to steady it or whatever. There's no way. There's yeah. no way that was because later. Right. That one guy, he can just do it with all of his hand. Remember? Right. And so then they, they bring up this giant syringe filled with fluid and they're kind of in this thing. And at this point, Donald Pleasant's like kind of freaks out for a second. They're, they're getting miniaturized and he, he kind of has like a panic attack and tries to escape the submarine and they have to like hold him back. Um, and so, uh, then they, sh- then they are in this giant syringe and they shrink the syringe down mm-hmm. and then they are able to bring it over to the, uh, comatose doctor yawns and put, uh, you know, inject him into the neck. So they're supposed to be really close to this clot and it really shouldn't take 60 minutes at all. It, it, should. Sh- it should take just a matter of minutes for them to get to this clot, do the thing and then get out of there. Mm-hmm. But so, before we even get to this, yeah. we're already getting sexual tension oh, between yeah. Grant and Cora. Right. Because he sees are. her in the back, like, screwing around with this laser. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, he walks back. He's like, I understand you've been Dr. Duval's assistant for quite some time. You must have snatched you out of a cradle. I've been with him since I got out of school. He brought me into the CMDF over five years ago. It's a long time with one man. Not working with someone like Dr. Duval. Oh, oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> You're like, what's going on here? And he's like, if I, w- if I was the captain, you know what I'd do. And she's like, oh, my God. And then the captain's up there. He's steering on his, like, little module. And he's like, hey, hey I got my dick out of here. Get out yeah. of here. <laughs> and they're like, oh, man, get out of here. Yeah. 
your dick your your dick must have went through an extra miniature ray am i right yeah everyone's like oh shit (laughs) and at first when everybody was getting like buckled in for the voyage i thought something was really wrong with that duval guy because like he was putting on what looks like a normal lap belt across his chest but then everybody was doing it yeah so anyway that's not important it's not important at all all. so anyways they go in there going into the blood they see all like the cells and stuff and they're pretty they're like oh man and then they have this conversation they're like Wow! Imagine like all of this happening in the human body, and uh, Donald Pleasant's character is like, "Yes, that's five million years of uh, evolution at work." And Doctor Duval's like, "Evolution? (laughs) You don't think there's some creator out there making this happen? God is great, and religion is good." 1966. Thumbs up to everything, and everyone's like, "Cool, yeah, totally." At this point, you're supposed to realize that Donald Pleasant is, of course, the bad guy because he is godless like the Soviets. Um, but I'm not sure why they air- airmailed it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was pretty obvious. I mean, there's only there's only basically two people that it could be. It could either be D- D- Dr. Duval, who they have said the entire time is, is. the bad guy, or in a twist, <laughs> Donald Pleasant's. Real M. I wonder what it is. Yeah, I wonder here. if it's going to be the twist or not. Yeah. So anyway, they're going yeah. along and everything's going fine for like five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they get thrown into this kind of like whirlpool. whirlpool yeah. yeah. And everybody's getting some intense G force thrown on or thrown on them, and all of a sudden they bust through the carotid wall. I don't yeah. know what you call it, arterial wall, and they're thrown into the jugular because yeah. there's some kind of. They, connection they call it, they call it an arterial venous fistula. So it basically during the attack. It was so tiny that they couldn't see it on any scans, but they had this damage that kind of made it so that you could go from one to the other and there directly. You go. Yeah. So then, so they're like screwed. They're basically like, we may as well, Donald Pleasant's like, we need to, we may as well get out or the pilot or something. It's like, we may as well get out of here. Like there is no way for us to get to the clot without going through the heart. And we've already said there's too much turbulence there. We can't go through it. Because if they go through the heart, the submarine will be just ripped to shreds yeah. due to the force. And they're like, okay, well, no, no, no. Let's find out from up above from the, the generals and stuff what they want to do. And so they they talk to them via Morse code and they're like, uh, you know, there's only one thing to do. Not to get them out, but let's stop the heart. They can go through the heart. They still have plenty of time. It will be no big deal. Plenty of time because they can stop the heart for 60 seconds. Exactly. If it's over 60 seconds, this person is dead for sure. Yes. And <laughs> again, it's like, it's it's just like take, a round number. It's going to take the Proteus 57 seconds to get through there. We only have three seconds to, to, to get his heart started again. Yep. Wow. And I was hoping, I mean, I was really anticipating some kind of defibrillator type situation. Yeah. No. And it was just like, shocked the shit out of this dude. And I was like, oh, is this going to fry the sub? What's going to happen? That's what I thought too, yeah. And kind of, they do a little bit of something. But yeah. so anyways, they, they, they stop the heart, they go through and you're like, oh man, are they going to make it? In? And spoiler alert, they do. Because this would be a lame movie if they got like ripped to shreds at the middle of the movie. And then they spent the rest of the time lamenting the loss of the scientists and this other, the scientist who could have saved everyone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead they make it through. By the skin of their teeth, my God, 57 seconds on the dot, and they have three seconds, and they get the the heart pumping again. Everything's back to normal. Phew. Like, everything's good. So they're kind of going along, and they have to go through kind of along the lungs a little bit before they head back up towards the brain. Yes. And they are kind of going along, and everything's good. They're looking out there, and they're seeing the exchange of oxygen. This might actually be where they were talking about the – this might have been where they – oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, yes. this is where they talked about the religious stuff, because they see the the, re, the blue – 
oxygen deprived blood cells turning red as they get the oxygen and they're like oh man we're the first people ever to see this god is great we love god and they do a couple our fathers and hail marys (laughs) and they pull out a rosary and some one of them becomes a priest at one point and And they say mass yeah yeah they have a full catholic mass in the middle of this latin (laughs) it was crazy not english let's get out of here that's not real (laughs) anyways and so, but also at this time, very convenient that the air pressure starts dropping in the Proteus. Right, yeah. And they, they, and they settle to, to the bottom it. and they're like, huh, may as well get out of here. Like every single time something kind of wrong happens, they're like, we may as well get out of here. And Stephen Boyd's like, wait a second, let's think about this. Like, we're right near the lungs. Could I bring like a, ho- does this have a uh, snorkel? And they're like, it does. I mean, yeah, obviously. Come on. It's a submarine. Theoretical bro. submarine, please. Uh, and they're like, what happens if I brought it over there to the the bronchioli or whatever it's called? Uh, alveolus, whatever it is. And poked it through the wall. Yeah. Like, would I kill him? And they're like, well, you're so tiny that no, it's probably okay. There's probably a whole bunch of things have holes in them. And it's like, okay. So they go out there and they're like, it's real dangerous because of like all the pressure differences and stuff like that. And they go up and he puts the thing through and they're going crazy. Like he can barely get the thing through. Then he gets in there and he's like, you got to tie me to the submarine or else I'm going to definitely fly away. And the doctor Duval's like, I'll definitely do it. Don't worry about it. And he grabs the, grabs the, his rope and ties it to the submarine. Perfectly Mm -hmm. fine. No big deal. Nothing, nothing wrong with it or anything. And he goes in and he starts to fly away, basically like getting exhaled. And the line snaps. And it's a, it's kind of an amazing scene because they have this huge sound, soundstage and he's flying all clearly on wires or whatever, but flying all over this yes. soundstage. Like he's flying, like it's Peter Pan or whatever. And uh, yeah, the line snaps and he flies away. But then when he inhales again, he comes back mm-hmm. and he's able to like claw his way back up. Yes. They get but back, the snorkel thing worked. Everything worked. They got they got it all refueled. Everything's all good to go. But they get on and him and Donald Pleasance kind of like put their heads together and they're like, I mean, Duval is clearly the bad guy. Like, it definitely won't be a twist. Don't worry about it, viewers. Definitely not twists. And, you know, because he <laughs> tied up my thing and it snapped. So, like, fuck him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and also, at this point, like, the laser has fallen or something like that. Oh, right? yeah. So, the laser is supposed to be secure. Yeah. And Grant even saw Cora secure it and back. So, yeah. he's ready to defend her. For sure. More but, than more than defend her, am I uh, right? Yeah, he is. If you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, when... They go back, the lasers all, the one that they're supposed to use to cut out the clot is totally damaged. Yeah. And, and it's so, unusable right now. And so they, they firing pins busted. And, and so again, they're like, well, let's just pull out. Yeah. Time to, time to pull out as you would in this situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so they go to, and, and Boyd's like, wait a second, let's not pull out so quickly. Am I right? And he opens, uh, he's like, I could, I could cannibalize the wireless system here. We would lose communication, but like. They'll oh. understand. They'll and understand. What's oh going darn! On. It's only Morse code anyway. Yeah, and so, and I could we could get it. We can a firing pin from it, and we could get whatever else they needed from it pretty easily. And so they kind of they fixed the one part, but the doctor's like, I gotta like shave down this firing pin. It's too big, and like, but I can make it. I just need to. I just need to do it. And this is when Grant even comes to Michaels. He's like, Hey, I saw that thing was tied down. Somebody's trying to sabotage this. Yeah. GD mission. Right. And so then they they had and they're like okay we we don't really have enough time the best way we can do this we have to go through the ear and they're like oh man but if we went through the ear we'd be like destroyed by any sound waves which is somewhat ridiculous but whatever it's not like the ear is like you know totally magnifying sound waves or something like that and have you all, ever traveled through an inner ear you know what you're right I should be not so hard on this movie I've never done it myself and. Makes me think that I should probably do it. You're right. So next week I'll be traveling into the inner ear. Cool. Yeah. 
Thanks. And so they go into that. Okay. Well, what, oh, what are we going to do? And they're like, oh, well, once we go in there, even though we can't communicate, once we go in there, they'll know what's going on. They'll, they'll keep it quiet. And, and they so, do. They do. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, definitely for sure. Like, I know exactly what's going on here. Like we got to all be quiet. So they all get quiet and they're traveling through the inner, inner, inner ear and they're like, this is all cool. Don't worry. And then what do they have to, oh, oh, they start, they get everything gets plugged. They got, they were going through. Right, Cause there's all sorts of reticular yeah, fibers. They, they had to go stuff. through this. Oh, that's right. That, that's even why they chose to go through the inner ears because they started to go through this kind of inner space and they were getting all, everything was getting clogged. So like, mm-hmm. oh, the better ways to go through the inner ear. And so then they were in the inner ear, inner ear and they lost pressure or whatever. And they were like, <clears throat> no, it's because of the stuff that we picked up in that inner, that reticulum area. I'm like, okay, well we better go out and clear it. So they're out clearing it. And someone, oh, a doctor is basically like, Looks sweating like sweating, yeah. He's real like, bad. It looks like he's like hungover or something. He's like, oh my god, he's like sweating just bullets. And a, a nurse is like, Jesus, this guy's gonna like faint or something. I better grab this towel. And she grabs this towel and drops some scissors. And yes. they get totally fucked up. But you know what? Not ripped to shreds like they had claimed would happen. Right? It seemed like we were fine. And Cora gets thrown into some like large fragments of something or other yeah and as a result of being in there antibodies start to be like recognizing her they're like oh mm-hmm. something's weird here we better go after her and so they were like a bunch of these tiny boa constrictors and oh, start yeah. choking her out and so the, donald pleasance and boyd are going down there and he, donald pleasance is like oh I'm, I'm too like it's too the pressure's too big i gotta go back and steve boy's like i'm a hero don't worry about it get back there you piece of shit yeah. and goes and grabs her and like pulls her and then she's covered in all this like crystallized stuff and they have to like pull it all off her right yeah and they're like move over i'm ready to do this yeah for sure raquel <laughs> welsh and then so they free her she's all safe they're in they get out of the inner ear they've cleared everything everything's fine and they finally get to the clot and they're like okay we only got four minutes right four minutes uh, it was it was like six minutes Something but they like only that. had but oh that's right yeah. they had four minutes to do the surgery and get out in time two, two minutes to get out yeah yeah and Donald Pleasance is basically like freaking out at this point. He's like, we are not going out there. Like, we're not doing this. And the doctor's like, what do you mean? We got four minutes. It's perfectly fine. I have four minutes to do this and two minutes to get out. It's perfectly fine. And he's like, no. And they're like, well, just stay behind or whatever. Don't worry about it. Mm. We're going out there. So they go out there with a the thing and they start spraying it with lasers. And they're like totally doing a good job, saving the guy's life. Everything's pretty cool. And Donald Pleasant basically goes insane. Yeah. He says like, oh, hey, come down here. Like, check out something. There's like a leak or whatever. To the captain. To who's the captain. With the sub. And captain comes down and is like, what? You you can't be the bad guy. And Dr. Duvall's a bad guy and he's out there. He's like, and wham! They whack him with a wrench. Was it a wrench? Uh, it was a wrench. We can mark it off as a pipe. A lot of wrenches in movies. Yeah. So I guess we can't mark that one off for this wrench. And... um. And starts to drive, drive like drive to ram the the people and the yeah whatever just to kill the guy. Grant's like, "Hey, give me that laser beam!" Yeah. And then just, totally laser beams the submarine. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then the submarine crashes. Uh, they're in the brain. I guess this is fine. They're pretty small. I guess it's okay. <laughs> and it's probably okay. sure. Yeah. And they go over and they're like uh, trying to save everyone. So they get the they get the pilot out of there. He's you he had been hit, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get uh, Pleasance out of there, but. Oh, there we go. Ooh, here we go. So we're pretty good. Yeah, and and the white blood cells, because they've been now, they're grow, starting to grow. They ran out of time. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to grow. And as a result, the white blood cells- And well, they smacked into the brain. So and they're like, way, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Let's Something go figure that out. Yeah. Something's real bad over here. And Donald, you know, and then it gets over and it basically melts Donald Pleasance and the submarine as mm-hmm. well. They eat it all up. Um, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense biologically, but that's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Much. But now- they have next to no time. Yeah, they're so like, they need to find we're the screwed. fastest way out. We're screwed, but they're like, not so fast. 
I know the way that the fastest way to get out of here and we could just do it ourselves. And so they decide to go to the tear ducts. Mm-hmm. And so they're going over and, and basically the generals up above are trying to figure out what to do. They're like, do we pull them out real quick or do we, do we kill the, kill the scientists trying to like get them out, you know, so that we can at least save them. So we don't kill four people and the, the scientist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, do the opera, kill him and let, let's get them out of there. And so and guys like, wait a wait, minute. Wait, wait, wait. I'm a general and I know anatomy better than anyone. And I I've know ever what known. they would do too. I know them so well. They're going to obviously go to the optic nerve and go out through the tear duct. Got to. This got to. Just check it out. Let, <laughs> me get, let me get a magnifying glass over here. Let me get a magnifying palm. glass. And they're like falling. Like, oh, and they're falling out of this ear, this uh, eye duct, yeah. tear duct. And they're like, there they are. And they put it on like a little slide. It'd be funny if they're just like, they go, oh, we're just going to get on the slide. They crush. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know what? I didn't see them. They're not actually on the slide at all. Uh, and <laughs> And so they get them on the slide. They bring them into the the deminiaturization area, and they grow real big again. And everyone's happy. And they just like high five, and and they're like, "Oh wait, that's weird. We were incommunicado. Where's Don- Donald Pleasance?" And they're like, "Um, he uh, died in the line of duty. Um, honorable." They don't even like whatever. mention. They're all just high yeah. five, and then it just says the end. Yeah. And they're like, the end. And then we destroyed Soviet Union forever. And we were able to miniaturize and march on Moscow. And millions of people died. And But it was for the sake of God. Because we were all so good. tiny. Yep. Because <laughs> we were all really tiny. And then we all stayed really tiny forever and ever. And the earth was actually millions, times, millions of times bigger than it was before. And we had all the resources <laughs> we needed. And it's like, what? What's, where's the story going? <laughs> <laughs> Then, yeah, you, man, then you checked and there was an hour left in the movie and you're like, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was a it. Fantastic man. voyage. Fantastic. It was fantastic. Good job, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brown. We appreciate it. I feel like we summed it up pretty well. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a trophy for it. Very thorough. Best sum up. Ooh. It was very thorough. Uh, so let's let's just get right into ratings. Brom, I will not make you go first. Really? Oh, okay. Okay. Just kidding. I'll make you go first. There we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like you've you've given me a uh, uh, a break from going first uh, quite a bit now. If you need to put me back on the on the burner, that's fine. Uh, so my thoughts with this, I thought the uh, intro, uh, the movie started up, it was very, uh, it had like almost a contemporary feel to it. You know, there was no dialogue yeah. or anything. And almost, uh, you know, with the car, the car crash and everything, it was almost like they did like a one long continuous shot, whether they did or not, I can't remember. But it just kind of had that feel to it. It had a really quick pace to it and really got the, the movie going. Which I thought was good, and the title credits I thought were really cool too. I mean, I, just- I I was waiting for you to mention the title credits. I thought the title credits were amazing. It's almost like a Fincher type uh, opening, like That's seven exactly or something what I like thought. that. I, I and was- it, yeah, it's it's a really cool opening and something that I wouldn't have thought would have been around in like 1966. Yeah, I mean just, we're talking just really 60 awesome. years old now. Yeah, <clears throat> it was it was really cool. I, I enjoyed that. But the uh, the actual exposition of the movie, you know, kind of slogged. I kind of slogged through that and they were showing off the set design and, you know, they, they were kind of like going a little overboard with the research that they put into making this movie about, you know, the science behind everything and just trying to reinforce that, you know, this could be possible. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea where they were kind of walking you through the set and just kind of showing off the money that they spent on the movie. 
That is somewhat blasphemy, but go go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you watch Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. <laughs> I'm not saying this is worse than Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I'm just saying it re- unfortunately reminded me of that. It also unfortunately reminded me a little bit of Neptune Factor, I thought, with a lot of the green screen Jesus. footage, uh, adventure footage, uh, bringing me back to that Neptune Factor, uh, just kind of watching people's reactions to blood cells flying past the screen and everything. I did think a lot of the practical effects and set design, though, of the human body were really impressive. Again, for 60 years old, I thought that was really cool and was probably the highlight of the movie and was really probably the highlight of the movie at the time as well. Uh, to, re- to reference another movie we watched would be Below, unfortunately, again, with how predictable the <laughs> the, the ending was with who the bad guy the bad guy in this was like it was you could see it was dr michaels from a mile away um so i was hoping that i was going to be proved wrong and it was someone else but uh I, it was a little unfortunate that uh, that was a little <laughs> it been funny if it was like if it was like the general he's like not even in the submersible yeah. in the submarine he's like oh i didn't think they'd actually make it but now i'm gonna shoot him yeah it's <laughs> like this fight above <laughs> so weird yeah i think it was, i thought it was just a little too on the head with uh, dr michaels being the bad guy but uh, ultimately, <laughs> no, better, was, I guess the I guess the better one would have been if a small another submarine showed up. Yeah. Like, oh shit! Because well, they kept saying <laughs> the Soviets are here. <laughs> they have the technology. Yeah. You could do one of the one of the doctors or nurses injected another one in. Yeah. Yeah, that would right. actually have been a cool. I'd, I'd like that. That'd have been so weird. And if like they just turn a corner and there's another submarine, you're like, what the fuck? And they're like defending the clot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, it was uh, it was a little slow at times. I'm going to give it a five. I knew it. So Kyle had guessed a 4.5. I said up. So I, I got it, but barely. I would have thought it, you would have went a little higher than that. I was but, bouncing. Those were the two numbers I was bouncing back and forth yeah. between. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I thought the title cards was something I really wanted to mention as being um, something that even if people didn't have much interest in watching the, the whole film, and I do remember seeing this like on TV when I was a kid and definitely as a kid kind of being like, this is boring. I'm not watching this. But like, even if you weren't interested in it, weren't boring. Like, they are interesting title cards, and you don't have to watch very far to see a, a pretty cool beginning of a film. Even if yeah. the rest of the film isn't in the kind of the same artistic quality, right? If you compare um, that, it to like the yeah. other movies we've watched from you know the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's it's they're all kind of formulaic where it's just kind of like filming water, and then they just put the names up. Like this yeah. was so so different, so unique. Yeah. And it was something where even when I was watching it, I was like, I bet this got nominated for sound editing and visual stuff. And, you know, you look and yes, that's that's the case. It did seem just like ahead of its time in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, for that kind of stuff. Um, even the main the main part of it, though, I, I thought it went it, I, I thought it was decent enough and uh, taking it into context of when it was coming out 1966 and stuff like that i'm sure this was like mind-blowing at the time Absolutely. now things come up as as a little predictable a little bit uh slow at times a little bit hollywood hollywoodized also like they didn't kind of let any portion of the journey happen where you kind of let it be character development or anything. It was always some kind of emergency had to be happening, which is very, you know, Hollywoodized. They had, to, oh, what's going to happen in the lung? What's going to happen in the heart? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there as they journey up to the brain? What's going to happen at the at the end as well? So everything had to kind of have an emergency within the yeah. script to do that. And so, you know, you could I could fault it for those kind of cliche, what would be now cliches, but this is part of what made it a cliche was a successful film uh, like this one. So I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm going to go, quite a bit above you and i'm going to say i'm going to give it a 7.5 
Wow. Because I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Ooh, hot damn. Because I was even going to say, I was even going to Fantastic Voyage and it was fantastic. I liked it. I don't know. I'm not going to apologize, guys. I'm not going to apologize. You don't have to apologize right. No, me. no. I'm not going to. Good. Yeah. You can apologize to Alex whenever he shows back up. Yeah, sure. Um, so I thought this was also very, I, I enjoyed it more than more so than you did, Brom. Um, just to put this in perspective, you, you say it reminded you of Neptune Factor and That's things insulting. like that. Um, Neptune Factor was made seven years after this movie. And then another film we saw with very poor visual effects. It's true. Uh, Stinger was made 39 years <laughs> after this movie. Yeah, despite the visual effects guy on Stinger working on um, the new Godzilla film, as yeah. I pointed out. Yeah, so uh, I was very impressed with this for 66. I thought, wow, I, I was anticipating something that was going to be kind of boring and right. just stupid, but- for its time, I was very impressed. I I enjoyed the storyline. Yep. It's kind of out there, but I mean, hey, what the heck? Not everything has to be like totally accurate all the time. Although, yeah, didn't a we lot just, of the medical just, stuff was pretty good. Didn't we just watch U571 where we were like, forget it. Like, whatever, it's Hollywoodized. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It was fun. That, yeah. I thought this movie was very fun. The um, characters, I thought were good. Could have had more with the captain, maybe make him... A little bit better, but uh, and it's always it is one thing yeah. I'd say is always fun about watching an old film is you see someone like Raquel Welsh, which you hear about here and there. Like I've never, I probably have never seen a film with Raquel Welsh in it, mm -hmm. but she was like literally one of the the pinup legends of the past. Right. And then you watch it and you're like, oh wow, she's like not only very beautiful, but she's quite charismatic, and I can understand you like she's a movie star. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to like you watch a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers film from like 1930, whatever, and you watch it and Ginger Rogers, you're just like, I'm in love with her. Like, she's <laughs> like amazing. Like, I, I love Ginger Rogers. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's, it's always funny to see something like that where you haven't seen a particular actress and you're just like, whoa, yeah, no, I can see why people were like in love with her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's the amazing. Amy Schumer of 1960, uh, 1966. All right. Sure. Uh, okay. Whoa. <laughs> I even like Amy Schumer. So each like, their own. A little different. <laughs> but anyways, I'm going to go ahead and match Jamie at a 7.5 on this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, I was really impressed for 66. Yeah, and I could have I went higher, but I, I do understand that it's not... Uh, you know, I, I, I look at something that I gave an 8, and I always go back to Run Silent, Run Deep, which I believe I gave an 8. Mm -hmm. And I kind of center around that a little bit. And I do like Run Silent, Run Deep better, even though I don't think it had as much... Um, innovation. Like, I think it shows, uh, this one shows up as a classic on a lot of lists, Fantastic Voyage, because of the innovation that you were seeing. Well, visually, it's very yeah, good. Visu um, visually and, and, and sound and editing, everything wise, like the, all the visual stuff and the creation of a movie stuff, like mm -hmm. this was very innovative and influenced a lot of movies throughout time. So, you know, but I, you know, I ended, I do enjoy Run Silent, Run Deep story and all that other stuff a little bit more. So I went, I had to go a little lower. Yeah. No, yeah. the story on that is so solid. I remember you oh, even right. referred to in one episode, you talked about the movie magic where you're looking at yeah. miniatures and stuff. Yeah. And I thought the miniature work in this movie was really well done. Everything they, was just good. Oh yeah. Did they have a lot of miniature work? There was a lot of green Yeah. Screen. There was actually a funny trivia about one of the miniatures. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. I got picked up by a bird or something, right? Yeah, Stolen a by three a inch, <laughs> a three inch miniature got was sitting on a window ledge, and a crow came up and took it away. <laughs> I'm not sure what the point of that one, the point of the uh, trivia was. But. Yeah, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. <laughs> All right, shall I get into some trivia? Let's do it. All right, so 
Uh, some of this will be, I think there's one, one trivia I have that we've already mentioned a little bit, and, and you might have some comments on that you've saw some of the trivia as well. But I'm going to start off with um, just like a, a fun anecdote, which was when they were filming the scene where they were trying to remove the antibodies from Raquel Welsh's uh, person, um, Richard Fleischer wanted it to be uh, kind of improvised. So they said, like, we're not going to rehearse and we're not going to do anything. You, I want it to be real, kind of like, you want to save this person, right? And so, but the first time they did it, uh, everyone was a little worried about grabbing at her bodacious bosom, if you will, because it's quite bodacious. Ooh la la. Right. And, and so that everyone avoided. And when they finished the scene and she got up, she basically had a bra of the antibodies left. <laughs> yeah. Like no one, no one grabbed any from her breasts. And uh, part of the reason why he wanted to do it improvised without any rehearsals also is it just took so long to get it all on her, mm-hmm. like get all the antibodies like sewn onto her, uh, costume. It's like, oh, well, let's do it again. But remember, like you gotta, you gotta reach for the reach for the breasts. And so then, when they did it a second time, everyone reached for the breasts, and it was like the opposite effect. <laughs> that basically, they only removed antibodies from her breast area. And he's like, okay, they had to actually choreograph exactly who was taking from different areas. And I think you can even see it in the final effect where like each person is kind of in one spot, right. pulling away, so that she ends up getting it all taken off in the end. <laughs> okay, so Isaac has a really interesting story with Isaac Asimov here. Um, so he's obviously a super duper duper famous sci-fi writer and they wanted him to do the novelization and they would have no one else. He didn't even want to do it. He was like, this plot had, there's a bunch of plot holes in this. I don't even, I don't really like it. It's an interesting story, but I don't believe that things could be miniaturized in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, this is stupid. Like, I don't want to write it. But then they, you know, kept on saying, I think they were upping the money and saying like, no, 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 we'll pay you more. We'll pay you more. We really want you to do it. We want to do it. And eventually he relented. Like, fine. I could make something interesting out of this. But he, he filled in a lot of plot holes. So I guess if you read it, there'll be things like he really didn't like that the submarine was left in the body. So they actually pulled the wreckage of the submarine with them to the tear duct in the book, I guess. Right. Because when it blows up again, it's 60 minutes. You're going to- We explode his head, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even the smallest fragment that that white blood cell leaves behind would just- Balloon. No. And the best one I, he brought up, I guess, was that the serum or the, the saline solution that they inject mm-hmm. is like just like gallons and gallons of saline well, solution. Well, yeah, because- And that, <laughs> there's no reason why that wouldn't expand as well. So he should explode just from the liquid that's in him. There was no reason for it to be that large anyway right, in yeah. the first place. Yeah. So he so he ended up rewriting some of those things and, uh, and uh, ended up being released. And it was released before the film, actually. So it was another case of it ended up being released before the film, which was similar to The Abyss. And uh, so a lot of people think it was actually an ad- adaptation because a lot of people had ended up reading the book before um, the movie came out. Interesting. So then he was also uh, tasked or approached with writing the novelization of the sequel. So little, little did people know, but there actually was a sequel planned and went pretty far into development before uh, getting mired in development hell. So anyways, the outline was kind of something we had mentioned, which was that there was two competing submarines in a, in a, in a, Spe- is a body that they were trying to save. So Soviets were trying to kill, and the U.S. put a submarine in there as well no to battle way. it. It's supposed to be World War Three. Now, depending on where Brom was in this whole situation, it could have been World War Brom. And oh my uh, but gosh, I don't know what side would you have even taken. I don't know. Probably at this point, Brom, Brom side. I would think, unless he was. Are you, are you saying the Brom is Soviets in this situation? I don't know. Just depends on his mood that day, right? And his godliness. I'm a pretty pretty godly guy and uh, anti-socialist. So <laughs> I would I would join your side. Um, <laughs> so Asimov apparently hated this, and someone else even wrote 
like a like a, a detailed outline of the novel or or some draft of the novel and he was like here this person take his novel and they were like no you have to write this novelization really yeah so he was like well i'm changing it and so <laughs> he had it so that there was a hero and a sub but he had to work with the soviet crew and there was a lot of tension with like working they had to work together really kind of for, like, in enemy hands type situation kind of like in enemy hands kind of like in enemy oh. i wrote that down and so uh, it ended up being released so there is a book fantastic voyage to destination brain that we could all read and maybe that will be one of our episodes, a little book club. Us reading a book? Yeah. Anyways, this is a quite well-regarded film, and it was on the uh, AFI's uh, 1998 list of the 400 movies that would be nominated for the top 100 greatest American movies. Now, yeah. the only thing I'd say is that the, the AFI list is more like influential films. It's not. It really shouldn't be taken as greatest movies ever. It's, mm-hmm. it's more should be the most influential films, and in that way- that makes sense. This is probably one of the 400, easily one of the 400 most influential films, I would guess. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're talking about the band AFI, correct? Yes. I am talking about the band's list of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> <laughs> they are film buffs, let me tell you. Well, I believe it. Okay. Finally, a little bit uh, of cast, not really casting what ifs, but there have been several high-profile attempts to remake Fantastic Voyage, which makes sense. Fantastic Voyage is was a wild success, highly influential. People remember it. I knew it as a kid. I don't even sure mm-hmm. how I knew it as a kid. Like you just hear about it at some points. So, All right, there was so voyage. you didn't know Limpet, but you knew this. Oh, for sure. Okay. But I do love Limpet. Don't worry about it. Uh, so anyways, uh, so over the years, James Cameron was, has been approached for this and it was actually attached for quite a while. Mm. Uh, Roland Emmerich and Will Smith were both attached kind of as like an independence day type thing. And that would have been cool. That would have been, that would have been really awesome. I bet that would have been like at a Soviet submarines also in there. That would have been How really cool slick. is that movie? I don't understand like why Asimov's like, no, like imagine if it was like our, one of our top generals just had a Soviet submarine injected into him. Like you yeah. have to go in and fight the submarine before they're able to get to the point where they can kill them or something. Yeah. I'm in, I, I, I want that. I want to watch this film. It'd have to be like crazy, like somebody busts into a room and injects. Well, yeah. I guess you could. He could even be awake. They just like inject him in the foot, yeah. and they're like, "Holy shit, we're going right to the brain." Or we're shoot kill him, like, this dude. or like you shoot him, right? Assassination attempt. He survives. That's weird. Why were they fine with just shooting him into the shoulder or whatever? Like they didn't even try. They didn't even care if they were necessarily going to kill him. Oh wait, the oh, bullet yeah. injected afterwards injected oh, this. Oh, like a, into it could it. be like a trank dart, even a little bit. That'd be really like, cool. what a weird thing. Oh my God. It's a miniature stuff. Oh shit. Will Smith, Roland Emmerich. Get over here. <laughs> Get over here. You could do that and just go around shooting all these people with trank darts and putting all these oh submarines God. inside. So people. good. <laughs> Anyways. That's a movie I'd watch. Yeah. It'd be a great movie. <laughs> so Paul Greenrass was also attached at one point. And he was attached with James Cameron as a producer, I guess. And James Cameron has multiple times said, like, he really wants to do this. He loves submarines. He loves ocean stuff. Like, it's all it's all part of what he does, kind of. But yes. he's been, you know, more distracted. He was even going to do it before he got going on the new Avatars. Like that was supposed to be his next movie after Avatar. Really? And then yeah, then he's like, no, 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 I got to, I got to do this other stuff. <sighs> and then most recently it was Guillermo del Toro, and he got distracted by a little movie called Shape of Water. Whatever. So what wins Best Picture Oscar? Who needs it? Rather do Fantastic Voyage, right? You should have. Yeah. So, anyways. So none of this has anything to do with my casting what ifs because this is a movie about miniaturization. So we're doing some miniature actors who might have done well in some in this film. Oh, it's not like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type stuff. Nope. Uh-huh. So Tom Cruise, five six, actor. <laughs> he is five six. That's real short. It is. Uh, uh, I would I would put him as Grant. You think he's yeah. actually he's got to be the the hero? 
Yeah. I think that's that's probably right. You got to do as an as a hero. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. Although I Tom Cruise has been Impossible. he's been really good in support roles like Tropic Thunder. Um, yeah, I feel like the only way you do it then is that he'd be like the general outside of it, where he's like yeah. kind of funny outside of it. But mm-hmm. no, you're right. He's he's Grant. What about uh, Al Pacino? Also five six. He's five six. Yeah. Al Pacino, I would put as the sub captain. Oh, really? As a captain? Yeah, I would have thought so Doctor Duval. He's sitting in that glass bubble. The whole I would, time. Lo- I would kind of like him as Doctor Duval, only because like then it's like he's a bad guy. He's like, what? I'm a bad guy. Al Pacino. Hooah! Oh yeah. How, how was that? That was pretty good. Thank you. What about Michael J. Fox, five foot four? Oh, in his heyday, obviously. Gosh, I would, I would have a hard time putting him as. Michaels, you couldn't. Yeah, it'd be tough because Michael J. Fox is like so lovable. He's too lovable. Yeah, he'd be he'd be a different version of he'd be the captain. Well, same thing. I I feel like yeah. I mean, he's a possibility he'd be the captain, capting around, but mm-hmm. and and uh, just like kind of like character actor, maybe later in his career or whatever. He's mm-hmm. kind of just like the whatever. If he was in the Grant, it'd be a very different movie, almost like Back to the Future, kind of like a zany, yes. but like he's the hero, but you don't necessarily think he's going to be the hero, but he's the hero, right? Kind of stuff. And he plays electric guitar and he discovers uh, uh, whatever, rock and roll, right? Oh my gosh, that's how they, that could be how they wake up the scientist, is he's just in there playing some, <laughs> his favorite song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Johnny be good? Yeah, Johnny be good, right. They could have doubled down on the radio technician aspect where he's like the tech techie nerd and ends up having to be the, you know, guy that saves the damsel in, dis- in distress and rescues everybody. Yeah. Um, With rock so and they- roll. Mm-hmm. With rock and roll, right? Sure, because because he, he invented it and hoverboards. <laughs> I know you guys want to put me and shrink me in the submarine, but could you just shrink me on my hoverboard and I'll zip around? So what about uh, Danny DeVito, four <laughs> four foot eleven? <laughs> Danny DeVito is Grant. Really? No, <laughs> come on, get out of here. No, Danny Duvall. DeVito. You think I? I would think or, Michael. No, I, you think if we're would being be dead my, serious, be he'd be the general. That's true. Uh, that's okay. true. Yeah, he would be like, he, uh, drinking, right. drinking like sugar, <laughs> sugar laced obsessed coffee. With sugar. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bad day to run out of sugar. Smoking I did. Lo- I loved a lot of that stuff. It almost seemed like improvised. At some point, he knocked over a coffee cup, and one of the guy goes, "Oh man, just got it dry cleaned." It's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Am I supposed to care about your dry cleaning? Hold on a second. Yeah. Um, what about Peter Dinklage, four foot four? The Dinkle. Mm. Where would he go? I feel like he could be Doctor Duval. That'd be a fun one. They kind yeah, of, but he, he could, he could. I think he could also be good as Michael's being kind of paranoid, and then turns out, what a twist! He's the bad guy, right? How about you, Brom? Yeah, I think I think you're you're onto something. I was thinking Michael's or, I mean, Grant would be too far fetched as well, unless you want to go the zany the zany angle with it. Oh, well, maybe. Have Cora draped under his arm at the end. She's like on her knees in order to be so, but. <laughs> Peter Dinklage is a, uh American hero, so I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised of him getting the damn. That's right. I, always, I keep forgetting. I keep thinking he's British because of Game of Thrones, but he's, he's not. not. I think. Um, and what about Ed Harris? He's actually only three inches tall. Everything has been done that he's filmed with by force perspective, like in Lord of the Rings. Wow. It's also why every film he does wins the Academy Award for visual effects because they're like, oh my God, this three inch person, it looks like he's making out with this full grown or, you know, regular human person, <laughs> woman. Yeah. But he's only three inches tall. 
So in reality, he's five, he's five foot nine. So he's, he's not the tallest person in the world. Again, I'd, I'd love a multiplicity type situation where Ed Harris is Everyone. everybody on the submersible or the sub, <laughs> the, what the, what the heck's it called? What, what happens if he was the, the person they were operating on and they were oh like, my God. we'll never make it up to the brain. If The only way we'd make it is if he was able to flex and be the strongest man in the world. And then all of a sudden he's like flexes and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. and like a submarine like shoots up to his brain. Yeah. And they're like. <laughs> Oh, and well, they, sh- they shoot out of his head and they got to like put him back in. Or they're like, we're going through his dick. It's way too big. What's going to take too long? The only way is if he flexed and his abs were so like rippling and greasy that we'd be able to make it all of the brain. And then he did it. <laughs> It'd be incredible. There we go. Uh, so anyway, before you get into Phantom Zone, yep. uh, I saw this and I thought it was actually very funny and I would have loved the movie to end this way. So apparently the original screenplay included a follow-up scene at the end. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody was just like, oh, hey, like, welcome back. But I guess <laughs> it originally <laughs> called for when Michaels drove that submarine and rammed it into whatever yeah. part of the brain, it caused the scientist to forget whatever to forget secrets was, yeah. he was going to divulge. Which kind of makes sense with how we were making fun of the ending. Because it's yeah. like, and then, of course, we get the secret to miniaturization. And yeah. that changes the world, mm-hmm. question mark? That didn't actually happen. So It would have been great. Because yeah. it would have been another situation where you're just watching it and be like, what was the point? What, wait, what did happen? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to do a quick uh, Phantom Zone. Engage the Phantom. Um, <clears throat> you just want to remind, in case we got any new listeners, what we're doing with Phantom Zone. Yeah, and it's, it's not, this isn't going to be a super helpful one because you do have to go quite far. So I go to a, one of the traditional ones. But the idea is we're trying to connect uh, the actors in this film to Ed Harris and Phantom uh, through actors, through, through films that only that have submarines in them. So you have to have an actor in this film who's also in another film that features a submarine and that has an actor who is in another film that features a submarine all the way until you hit uh, Ed Harrison in Phantom. Amazing. Yeah. And he's been able to do it every single time. Every single time. The only one I had to stretch for was Stinger where we used a visual effects artist to make it to that. But it still works. Yeah. And Stinger is a garbage movie. It's not even real. So who cares? Uh, so anyways, this one features Edmund O'Brien. So he was the sugar-obsessed general. I kind of liked him. Uh, and he was in a movie called Up Periscope with James Garner. There's actually two movies called Up Periscope. This is the earlier one. Oh, I was going to say Up Periscope's on our list. Right. I think that that's the comedy. This was more of a action film huh. with James Garner. And so William Leslie was a lieutenant in that film. He was also a lieutenant in Hellcats of the Navy, which has come up before. Brom, that's that's your, uh, your bag right there, man. It's mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan and Ronnie. Nancy Reagan. Uh, probably boning on set. No, that's not true. They were very <laughs> nice people. They didn't have sex until they were married, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably. Why not? <laughs> it's Ronald Reagan. Uh, and so anyways, that features uh, Arthur Franz. And we've used him before in the Phantom Zone for the incredible Mr. Limpet. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, he did not play Stickle. Oh, man. Piddle. I was waiting for one of you to go, Piddle. But then I had to do myself. Brom wouldn't. Brom hated that movie. Well, anyway. <laughs> so if now, Zach was here, he would. He didn't play Stickle in that, but he was actually in a movie called The Atomic Submarine, which was before we used previously for The Incredible Limp- Mr. Limpet to get us over to Taro Shimada, 
in just a few steps. Oh, and we've, Tara you, we've used Terra Shimada a huge number of times. He was in uh, Run Silent Run Deep mentioned before, but you know that's how we got from Run Run Silent Run Deep to uh, to Phantom before. So you got to listen to other episodes to find out exactly how that happened. Not going to do it this time. Ooh. Amazing, though. It works every single time. Every time. Teru Shimada is the key. It works 60% of the time. It works every time. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make any sense. All right. It's, it's sub, 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 world, world, wide, 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 wide. Woo! My new favorite section. Ooh. So this one actually ties into a bunch of different parts of this episode. I was very tactful with my choice. So we're continuing on. With what we're calling, and well, we probably just totally botched it, Submersible Month, by having a movie with a submarine in it. But I wanted to talk about a submersible like I did on last episode. This one covers all sorts of bases. Eric and I in the interview talk about Russia. This is a Russian one. You were just talking about James Cameron. Oh, hello. James Cameron's used this thing like three separate times for movies. Wow. Yes. So... The Mir 1 and 2, M-I-R, that's how it said. Like oh. the Russian space station? Mir? Mir? Yes, I think, yes. It's, yeah, I think it's the same. So, these submersibles are the deepest diving submersibles ever made. It's probably why they call Mir, because they're like, like exploration. That was a great sound effect. <laughs> 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 so... These are battery-powered, three-person submersibles, and they're designed for scientific research. can be also used in submarine rescue missions. Although then there was like an asterisk, like, although no one can get on or off the, the uh, sub while they're underwater. And they're quite good at filming. So I mentioned James Cameron. He has used these things for three separate films. Titanic, yep. which is, I don't even think that needs an introduction. Fantastic. And then two documentaries, one called Ghost of the Abyss. Oh. And Expedition Bismarck. Mm. So, I thought it was going to be the Abyss. <laughs> no, that would have been that would have been pretty nice. These were delivered to Russia, so Russia designed them and all that, but they did not build them. They were contracting them out, and they, due to some political things, mumbo jumbo, yeah, a bunch of people put in bids and retracted them because I think U.S. was putting pressure on them. Bureaucratic bullshit. Yeah, Finland was like, "Hey, we'll do it." So they delivered these in 1987. So they're kind of older, but um, the specs on these things, they're 26 feet long, 9.8 feet tall, 11.8 feet wide, and like your working bubble area is 6.8 feet. So if you're in there with three people, you better like those people. The uh, power, it has a nine kilowatt electric motor, can travel at a speed of five knots. That's pretty slow. When it's, yeah, when it's at its place. I can imagine, though, if you're like way, way, way under the ocean. Yeah. Five knots probably okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's, but it has a descent and ascent speed of roughly 115 to 130 feet per minute. Now you might think, oh, that's decent. Wow. But when you can dive down to 20,000 feet, that's going to take you a while. Yeah, it's going to take a real long time. <laughs> so they say it can explore, I think it was up to, 98% of the ocean with how deep it can dive. Wow. Uh, life support for this mm. thing is 246 man hours or three person crew can survive for 3.42 days. Wow. But where are you going to go to the bathroom? What are you doing down there? Pissing your pants. I guess for three days straight. So. Pooping in your hands. These were used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
smearing it all over the glass <laughs> bubble. Like, I mean, I'm where to put this. It's like a, more like a, it sounds like a Tuesday for me. Yeah, right? that would be that'd be disastrous. You guys would be ripe. <laughs> Three days, like yeah. holy shit, right on top of each other. <laughs> Shouldn't eat the chili. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> So anyways, these were used to explore Lake Baikal mm. in Russia, which is the deepest lake in the world. They're also used to explore Lake Geneva. So these are launched by a boat, which I'm sure I will butcher the name of, the Academic Mislav Kelidish, however the heck you say that. It's a Russian <laughs> surface vessel. And generally you only use one of these at a time because if something happens, it becomes stranded, you know, if you're... <laughs> 18,000 foot underwater. You have to use the other one. Yeah, you got to use the other one to go like (laughs) rescue it. But um, they can be used in tandem to like provide different lighting effects and things of that nature for filming. So they're just, uh, they're pretty cool submersibles. That sounds really cool. Yes. And I know it's not even my segment. I know. But. Got to come in for Mustard Man here. Yes. I I got some news too. Do you? Yep. You want to go first? Oh, I can. That's fine. I, I found this. This is pretty cool, guys. Uh, Legoland, uh, California. You hear about this? I have not. Nope. Did you say Lego, Lego Ranch or Legoland? Legoland. Pardon me. Legoland uh, out in California, I guess. Wait, did you say Legoland or Legolas? Legolas. Okay. Uh, from Lord of the Rings, the badass elf played by Orlando Bloom. Uh, Legolas uh, is going to be visiting Legoland oh. in California <laughs> because they have a new submarine attraction. It's non non simulated, which is like uh, massive. This is like a first of its kind uh, that will take guests into the deep sea in quotation marks, uh, where you can see sharks, stingrays, and of course some Lego sculptures. Uh, where you're going to be, uh, I guess the theme of it is. Um, the storyline is structured around a voyage in which the passengers are searching for sunken Lego artworks, swords, and other treasures strategically located on the ocean bottom. Uh, San- San- uh, citation to San Diego Union Tribune there. Uh, it's a four-minute ride, and uh, you will submerge and see uh, crowns, pearls, swords, portrait art, treasure chest, gems, as well as... Black tip reef sharks, southern stingrays, and big scale soldier fish. Really? Do you know how much this thing uh, costs to do? Uh, I think it's part of the attraction, so it would be more of the ticket to get into Legoland. You can ride this ride. Wow. Uh, But there's a picture of the vessel. It looks pretty cool. It it looks like the whole thing doesn't go, like, completely underwater. It's kind of like at snorkel depth, but it's got all glass around it, and you get to sit down inside this and ride around the the uh, aquarium pretty much that sounds pretty awesome yeah, oh, so you're, not, pretty cool. you're not out like in the ocean on it no it's just like <laughs> a pool okay yeah it's uh part of their aquarium <clears throat> i guess otherwise you, how you could get they... to ride through the aquarium basically yeah how could they promise those animals um <laughs> if you're out in the ocean yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> unless they, uh, unless they were trained, unless you will were... see a black tip reef shark they could have been trained like in Nep- neptune zone Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all trained. All right, what's your what's your news? All right, so this is big news for our US listeners. The title of this article from nationalinterest.org, the Navy just launched its most deadly attack submarine ever. Oh, I heard about this one. Yeah, yeah. That's Boom. Right. So, 
June 25th, the shipbuilder Huntington, Huntington Ingalls delivered the USS Indiana to the U.S. Navy. Although the delivery was late, mm-hmm. this is the newest, it's the 16th Virginia-class submarine, and it's going to be totally kick-ass. That's about it. Coolio. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about that. Yeah. I just can't wait till the new class. The uh, Columbia? Yeah. It should be pretty awesome. That'll be super awesome. All righty. So, Brom, you got a, you got a top five? Yes, we do. Of course. Uh, Is it the top 25? Uh, top 25 tonight. Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> Next two hours. Tube three, ready to fire, sir. Commence the countdown. Now this will be pretty quick. I was banking on you to ask me what movie we watched, uh, so I could uh, work the magic school bus in there. Nice. This is uh, this is the top five magic school bus episodes as rated Ooh. by IMDb users. Wow, loving it! So I like this take a lot. It, yeah. Taking you back to your childhood. Try to remember some of these. I definitely do. Number five, the magic school bus gets ready, set, dough. Topic, kitchen chemistry. It's Miss Frizzle's birthday, and a field trip to the bakery seems perfect. Until the bus's shrinker scope goes on the fritz, and the Whoa. class gets baked in a cake. Oh, <laughs> they Episode do features Dom DeLuise as the baker. It's also the only episode where everyone on the magic school bus died. Because <laughs> they were baked in the cake. Come on, guys. That was the yeah. last episode. Till the reboot. They got a reboot, I guess, that came I out. I just saw that. The Miss, Magic Miss School Bus Rides Again. Miss Frizzle. Yes. What's her name? Miss Frizzle? Yes. Miss Frizzle went to jail for a long, long time after that episode. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my whole class got baked. A, aren't they doing a live action one, too? I heard with, uh, I think they're talking about uh, the girl from Saturday Night Live that was in Ghostbusters, Kate McKinnon. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I think they were talking about her, or maybe it was Elizabeth Banks, one of those two, for like a live-action Magic School Bus. Dude, so that Magic School Bus Rides Again is a Netflix series. Wow. So we can all watch it. I loved the video games. I remember I had the Rainforest one, and I think I had the the Human Body one. That's a classic. Yeah, Kate McKinnon's Miss Fiona Frizzle for the new ones. Is it? Yep. That's her. Very cool. Professor Frizzle. Hold on. Oh, it's her daughter. So the, the t- uh, she became Professor Frizzle, and then her oh, daughter is. So it's Ms. not Fiona. live action then either. No, no, no. It's a, okay. Uh, it's a, yep. All right. What's number four? Number four: the magic school bus for lunch. Topic. Ooh, I, I think I remember this one. Digestion. Arnold's so excited he doesn't have to go on a field trip, but when he accidentally swallows his miniaturized class, he becomes the field trip. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, I that one was great. I definitely remember that one. Yeah, that's what I remember. I think I remember that one, too, and it sounds similar to what we just watched. A little bit. The number two is the, like, dead ringer. Uh, number three, though, is the magic school bus blows its top. Topic that volcanoes. Sounds <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, number two sounds much worse. What was the kid's name again? Arnold? Arnold. Uh, Arnold's going through puberty, <laughs> and <laughs> that makes for an awkward time when his school bus class is traveling. <laughs> he's going to blow his top. He thinks his parents <laughs> are away. Oh, he's sick. Anyways. The, the magic school bus and the mysterious discharge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, those topic volcanoes to help them understand how the earth makes islands. Miss Frizzle presents the kids with an island that hasn't been discovered yet. 
That's amazing. Yeah. How number does she two. know about it? No wonder she became a professor. Yeah. Uh, number two uh, is, is our dead ringer here, also has the funniest name. The Magic School Bus Inside Ralphie. Nice. I do remember. This is the one I This is like a classic one, right? Yeah. It's the one yeah. I remember, yeah. Topic germs. Ralphie is crushed when a fever keeps him home from school the day he's scheduled to host a Frizzle News Network television broadcast on health. Uh, so this is the one that actually navigates through the human body and features Tyne Daly as Ralphie's mom, whoever that is. <laughs> uh, it's ringing a bell. I don't know. I can't put a face to that. Right now we're going through all the actors and actresses who've been in it. There's some, there's some pretty <laughs> large names yeah. in here. Number one is the magic school bus in the Arctic. Where did the hot go, wonders Arnold, when his hot cocoa cools off. So Miss Frizzle whisks the class to the Arctic. I remember that, yeah, yeah. And that is the top five highest rated episodes of the magic school bus. Awesome. Yeah, and he was just showing me some of those actors. Tom Cruise was in it as himself in 1997. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, here's Tom Cruise, class. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Was 97 the first year, or was it 90? I don't know. No, it was 94. 94, okay. So it was really in its like peak. Got Tom yeah, Cruise. They, mm-hmm. they were established by then. That's cool. That's very cool. All right. Oh, no Dude. Zach facts tonight. No oh, Zach no. facts. I can make up a couple if you want. That's Stephen, okay. Stephen Boyd thought he was filming a sequel for Ben-Hur when he was filming this film. <laughs> Again, very nice. Ben-Hur plug. I, I, I need loved to watch it. it. I actually liked it. It was very, very long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. More like something, I know, right? Oh, ho, ho. <laughs> don't look at my eyes when you say that. <laughs> yeah, am I right? Uh, <laughs> something that was really weird, I was explaining this movie to my wife, who is a neurologist. Yeah. And she's like, are you serious? This actually sounds like a movie that I would want to watch with you. Wow. She's like, Cause, <laughs> like we deal with these types of things at work. And I was like, wait. You shrink people in submarines to cut out blood clots? She's like, not that, but they use <laughs> surgical procedures to remove them. And I was like, well, it was very good. And did you also see in the trivia, they said that footage from this movie <laughs> was used to show up until like the 80s medical I could, schools I could stuff? see it, but it's, it does seem a, li- a little bit ridiculous. It does. Because you'd be like, yeah. what? what is this? This is a big set. What are we watching? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not that accurate either. Well, I don't know. I've never been inside a... That's true. Miniaturized you know submarine what? inside a body. You know, pie in my face. <laughs> pie in my face. Back yep. to the, the old classic. Misnomer. To, really trying to make it happen. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like fetch and mean girls. Right. Well, without further ado, I think we can uh, kick it over to our interview. Stay tuned. For Eric Marino. At Mac East Second Floor Studios, sometimes we don't have all the answers. In dire times like this, we've decided to call in the very best. Welcome to an interview with an expert. Today we have with us a very special guest. He was also on our U571 episode, Mr. Eric Marino. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm ready to talk subs. I just got back from the wilderness on a backpacking trip, and there were no submarines out there. Definitely not. No, my wife didn't even want to talk about subs out there. There's a couple things you wanted to talk about today, right? Some uh, some hardcore things. 
Oh yeah, definitely some uh, some submarine weapons. I think it's a super cool topic nobody knows about. It is cool. And uh, when when I was telling my wife about this, it was funny. She's like, "Are you sure you guys should be talking about some of these things?" Most of the stuff that's uh, really crazy and freaking people out is all Russian stuff, so I'll talk about all I want. <laughs> I want to give out as much info as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. So let's, yeah, let's start off with the with Russia. You told me about the Status Six weapon, also known as in the U.S. as the Canyon, or as Russia changed the name, it's now known as the Poseidon, and. I started looking into this thing a little bit, and it's probably the biggest weapon of mass destruction I've ever heard of. And unless you're looking for it online, you're not re- you don't really hear anything about it. But uh, what what do you know about this thing? Right. So the the funny part about the names, you know, every time Russia puts out a a, a weapon or a, a submarine or a, a a boat, they always have it. They always just give it a project name, like Project One Four Two B Seven A Dash Three or something. So NATO's got to come up with a name for it. So that's why it has status six. That's a Russian name. And then you have uh Canyon. That's the NATO name. Um, I think it has something to do with it. The weapon's supposed to blow up in a Canyon. Um, okay. And then they have the Poseidon name, which is the second Russian name because they did a, they I guess they, they thought this was a, a really good idea. They had a, a, a voting contest open to the citizens to name their weapons. <laughs> so they got to, that was one of the weapons they got to name was the, uh, the status six weapon. So they named it Poseidon. Dang. Usually that backfires. You remember over in, I think it was the UK. There was that, I think it was a submersible they were naming and it got the name Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, it was, uh, it, they were actually having a contest, I think for a large surface ship. And they named it Modi McBoatface, but the Navy was like, absolutely not. We'll let you name an ROV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's how it happened. It's, it's actually active. You can see the stuff that it's done. It's actually gone out on missions. and uh, They're actually sending it under the ice to do like under ice um, scans and stuff like that from what I understand. That's cool. Well, this I think this name, I guess, came out potentially a little more badass than Bodie McBoatface, but... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. This thing is uh, this thing's pretty crazy. Now you got to understand something about any any type of technology, especially military technology that Russia has. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's stolen from us. Yeah. Uh, we were doing. I know we were we were doing research on a weapon like that a long time ago, and just didn't really see it being very feasible. Uh, the nuclear triad we have now is pretty pretty solid. Uh, you can keep adding on to it if you want, but it doesn't really give you much depth and it costs you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think Russia started working on this thing because one, they had the intelligence to do it. And two, they wanted to do something crazy. Like they wanted to do something that's scary. I, I don't think they're ever going to, they're ever going to like have this thing for use. They may have one, but it's not going to be something that's, it's not going to be a card in their hand per se. It's going to be more of a scare tactic. Um, and it's, it's a fucking scary thing, man. Like this thing is, it's one of the scariest nuclear weapons I can think of. It's the second, the second most scariest behind the, the slam missile, which I can talk about later, but, um, the classification is really long. It's an unmanned autonomous nuclear powered nuclear torpedo. So it's a really, really big torpedo that is nuclear powered, has its own reactor on it, uh, that powers the thing. And then it has its own nuclear warhead. It's actually got a, 
from from what I'm hearing, it has a they could put up to a hundred megaton warhead on it, which is an enormous weapon. It's I think Star Bomb was like 150 megatons, so it's it's way up there. Um, and this thing can be fired from 6,500 miles, give or take. You know, whatever Russia's lying about with the distance. <laughs> um, I mean, they could basically fire it from their own waters, and it'll just go. And it goes about 120 miles per hour under the water, and just goes to wherever its target is. And it's designed to run real deep, so it runs at about 3,000 feet. So it's way deeper than anybody can deal with. I mean, there's no attack submarines that can go that deep or anything that can deal with that unless you want to talk about unmanned stuff and robots, whatever they can do that. But right. that's really deep. So it's, it's, it's basically a second strike weapon. If the ICBMs and the SLBMs, once they finish, then what will happen is they'll send out second strikes. And this is going to be a second strike weapon, which is... It takes a long time. Even if you're driving 120 miles an hour, it takes a long time to get across the Pacific so or across the Atlantic. So, right. Or Pacific. It can take a day or two. So it's a really long shot, but it's super accurate. And uh, it's designed to essentially get right next to a canyon and blow up way deep under the water, causing essentially an underwater earthquake, which makes tsunamis. So this tsunami... From what I understand, it's going to pull. It also pulls the water at the same time, so it explodes. It'll it'll explode, contract, and then the water flows into whatever town you wanted to strike. Well, the, most of that water is going to be uh, radioactive. It'll it'll have a lot of radioactive isotopes because it's a, a thermonuclear cobalt weapon. So it's got a lot of. Uh, it could be it could be pretty nasty. So oh yeah. And Russia says that this wave is going to be sixteen hundred feet high, which I <laughs> that is I mean maybe. That's huge. So, because I was trying to put that into perspective, and you remember the huge tsunami wave that devastated Japan in 2011? I mean, it killed almost 16,000 people. Right. That was 133 feet tall. Yeah, that was nothing. Yeah, and if this thing is 1,600 feet tall, my word. You know, tsunamis are funny. They're not those big, giant waves that people make them out to be. And I don't think that I mean, maybe in its, if it's working perfect and they hit a, they get a good strike and it's really close, maybe they can get that high. That's a, that's a lot of water. So either way, it's, it's, it's a nasty weapon, but it's designed to basically wash you out, wash your city out and then leave a bunch of radiation behind. So, and it's, it doesn't actually strike people. So it's really hard to also strike back at it. You know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a one shot more than likely going to hit weapon. Yeah, and once it goes off, I mean, there's no stopping that. You, what are you going to do? Build a seventeen hundred foot wall in a matter of minutes? I mean, no way. Yeah, that you know, that's a thing. You know, you you just hope and pray that like the the underwater sur- uh, surveillance system picks it up, or some some submarine maybe gets lucky and picks it up, and they can send forward and say, "Hey, this thing's coming. See what we can do." Because you know, you can always. 3,000 feet deep. I don't even know if you can depth charge that deep. I mean, it's really, really deep. So I honestly don't know. I don't, I don't do, I don't, I don't, I've never tried to take out a torpedo. So I mean, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> wait, I thought that's why I brought you on here. I thought you just took out torpedoes. Yeah. We, when we shoot at each other, we, we hit each other's torpedoes. They're like the bullets. You know? Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't even imagine a wave that high, but I guess. I'm in the Midwest. It probably won't reach me, not over the Rockies, but coastal cities, that's that's crazy. 
there's no stopping anything like that. No, no. I mean, if you live near a big city, you're more than likely going to get hit by a, a thermonuclear weapon anyways, and you're either going to get burned or slowly die of radiation death. Great. This is this is a very uplifting uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's true, you know. Yeah, and that, that status six weapon. So, so whenever it's designed to be on uh, Russia's motherships, so the uh, the Oscar class submarines, from what I understand, and I think they they may have some intel is coming out that it may that may change, but right now it looks like it's on the Oscar class, which is uh, the Russians uh, SSGN, so the guided missile submarine. So it doesn't shoot cruise missiles, it shoots guided missiles, kind of like tomahawks or caliber missiles. Okay, and. Uh, they they double it up as what what they call a mothership, and it can do heavy tow like you can attach heavy things to it. So the Belgorod, for example, you can attach a midget submarine to the bottom of it, and the the purpose is to take take the the Belgorod out, the big giant submarine, mm-hmm. take it out and get so deep, and then detach the midget submarine that can go way deeper. And so it ends up becoming like a middleman. It just kind of hangs out and becomes a, a like an underwater port for it. Right. Um, but you can also load the status six weapon into it. You can apparently load four of them at, at one time. That's, so, <laughs> that's what I saw too. And I thought, wow, I mean, you think one's excessive. What about having four used? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if there's a nuclear war, you're not going to take out hardly any of those weapons anyways. I mean, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk, we can talk all kinds of shit about how awesome our missile defense system is, but you know, we don't fucking know. And I, I honestly don't have any faith in it at this point. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 everybody's going to get hit. It's going to be a nasty day. Yeah. Well, hopefully we never have to test it ever. That'd be great. Yeah, man, for real. I mean, and, and like I said, there's, there's, a, there's a few weapons. Status 6 is, I don't know what the Navy called or the, the United States called it. I don't know if anybody's even come across it. But the, uh, the, Navy, the Navy's been, been dealing with crazy stuff like this for a long time you know in the 60s we were making all kinds of crazy stuff and weapons like this were part of it and there were a few that they were like it's just not worth it <laughs> you know it's, just, <laughs> it, it's almost too crazy yeah you know it it would work i mean that that weapon's gonna work i mean you're not gonna stop it and we may even have a few i don't know but it's just a little too crazy it, it's a lot of destruction i mean you're gonna fuck the whole ocean up you know what i mean Oh yeah, you're not just gonna mess up the land. Like the ocean's gone now too. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know what the impact would have on on the entire ocean if you did something like that. Think about how far out a a nuke goes out just in the air. Now, now put it in water. I mean, the that water is gonna transfer all that energy a lot farther. Oh yeah, that thing is gonna that thing is gonna destroy everything and everything in the horizon easily. You know, if every if all that water you see from horizon to horizon, both sides, it's it's, it's done. Like there's not gonna be anything left. Everything <laughs> is gonna be decimated. Plant yeah. life, it's gonna flatten rocks. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be completely nasty. Yes, it will. <laughs> so I th- I think we've kind of you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but what do you think the probability of something like this ever being used is? Well, right now. Uh, the CIA says that they've tested it and it 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 works. So hmm. they have the possibility to use it. We've seen intel pictures of it. If you go to Sutton's website, you can see all of the intel that he found on it. So you can see all of the the casing and all that stuff that we've seen. And Russia's really touting it, and they put out 
they haven't put out any live pictures or photos or videos of this thing, but they have uh, they have pretty good details of what they want to do with it. And so it is what it is. Rush is hard to they're like they're like Trump. You know, you don't know if he's being truthful or if he's not being truthful. He's they 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 play that game. Mm-hmm. They may just have convinced the CIA that it works. I mean, I have no idea. So <laughs> the Russians are really really good at that game of faux power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, odds are you're going to get hit by a, a ballistic missile first. You know, that's what's going to take out all the major cities. All of these status six weapons and all this stuff. This is all just kind of aftermath stuff that's going to just kind of finish everything off. And unless you live near a water, it doesn't affect you at all. I live in Dallas, so I wouldn't see any of it. I'd, I'd sure as hell get nuked. I live, I live like five miles away from a huge uh, Lockheed Martin facility that puts together fire control systems and stuff. So I'm definitely going down. Yeah, that'd probably be one of the places they have targeted. Oh yeah, yeah, but it, I, I don't, I don't think it would be. I don't think it's going to be very, very possible. I mean, it's it's nukes. Once they once one goes off, more than likely they're all going to go off. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be all or nothing. And that's not even the scariest weapon. If you want to get into like a real scary weapon, we can talk about the slam missile, which is it's god awful. I mean, it was one of the weapon. It was the weapon that nobody's made because everybody's just kind of scared of it. But um, what's that do? I'm not I'm not real familiar with it. So the this I'm sure it was the CIA. They they generally develop all these black project weapons. But Vought and uh, uh, the Navy, I think the Naval Research or whatever, they developed a weapon called the Slam missile. It's called the Super Low Altitude missile, and it's a missile. It's a ramjet missile, but it looks like a plane, and it's a nuclear powered nuclear weapon delivery system so it's a it's a nuclear powered missile that will fly for months over whatever country target whatever you want it can fly over the it can fly around the world multiple times and it has they call them nuclear missiles like icbms but they look more like canisters Hmm. and so what this thing's supposed to do is you launch it from wherever um i think you can actually launch it out of an icbm tube and it has the wings that float out but so this thing will launch It'll fly to, let's say, let's say Russia, right? You want to take out Russia. So it'll fly to the first town it can in Russia, and it'll, it'll launch one of those canisters. It'll just launch a canister and then drop uh, a nuke right there, right? And so then what it'll do is it'll drop super low, and it'll start to fly, I mean, within feet of people's houses and shit. And the engine is so powerful that it will actually destroy homes. Uh, it emits radiation, so you get a nice little dose of radiation as it flies by. Uh, it's like supposed to make you deaf and it, it's, it's a really nasty thing that flies over your low altitude. And then it, dro- it comes back up, goes to the next town, boom, drops a nuke, goes to the next, drops back down, goes back up. And it just, it just flies from town to town to town and just drops, drops nukes on it. And then once you run out of the nukes, cause I think it can hold like 12 or 16 nukes. Oh my gosh. Uh, once you run out of those, <laughs> once you run out of those, this thing is, is designed to fly super low again. And it will actually eject the uranium fuel out of the reactor as it's flying. So it'll spew high, high, high quality uranium all over whatever it's, it's spraying, right? Which will be there for a really long time, thousands of years, right? Yeah. And then once that's done, it's basically dead. And then it's supposed to take the, it's supposed to take itself and it's got a nuke built into it. And so the head of the missile is supposed to fly and it's another nuke and it's fucking blow something else up. 
It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> and I, I put together, I worked with uh, a guy named uh, Kasilik on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, he's a, he's a, one of the guys I love to follow for nuclear power. And uh, he, he's the one that kind of put all the photos and stuff together. And I just, I just cleaned it all up and I put it into an imager album. So if you just go on imager and, and uh, search for King Neptune 767, you'll see Project Pluto, uh, Project Pluto. And you'll see the photos of it, the testing. There was like a testing where a part of a mount broke off the, the reactor engine and almost fucking flew off the frame. It was pretty crazy. Oh, my word. Yeah. And you can see photos of it. You can see the drawings of what Vought wanted to do with it. And it came down to the point they were like, we can't do this. This is not. <laughs> we might as well just be making mustard gas at this point, you know? Yeah, that, that sounds <laughs> like the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, we were going to make multiple ones. It, you know, like, but then like the nuclear triad is so solid. You just don't need anything like that. Right. You know, it's, it's all that's extra. That's all scare tactics, to be honest. And that shit is scary. Nobody's going to just allow somebody to launch a plane like that and not retaliate. So that's true. Once one goes off, they all go off. Let's, uh, let's see. There's another submarine related thing you wanted to talk about. And these are very important and people may not realize how important they are, but submarine cables. We've heard about them lately. Uh, we even talked about them in one of our news segments. There was some kind of accusation that, or maybe people were worried because Russian subs were getting close to some of the sub cables in the Atlantic, and they thought they might be trying to hack into them. I uh, just want to kind of let people know what submarine cables are and why they're important. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll tell you something funny about that story, too. Um, so... Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit more detail about that story. So, okay. so submarine cables in the, in the early fifties, we laid down a top secret program essentially called SOSIS, right? The submarine surveillance or the submarine under, uh, what's the example? Sound, sound surveillance system. Sorry. And it's, it's a bunch of cables that have hydrophones connected to it randomly throughout the cable. And we laid them, we laid them around basically between New York and the UK, right? And kind of in that area. They're they all over the place, right? It just depends mm-hmm. on what, what year, because we did it for years, right? But SOSIS was a cable system that could see the, that could hear the Russians coming out into the Atlantic. And so there's a, uh, uh, on Curiosity Stream, there's a new submarine documentary called The Silent War, I believe. And uh, it's really good, and it explains SOSIS, and it talks about these four kilo submarines that came out of uh, Russia to, or maybe it was the Soviet Union, I can't remember the time, but they uh, they came down and were going, they were, they were essentially trying to see what they could do, mm-hmm. and uh, we heard them. And so we followed all four of them and, and detected them for a long time, and it's a really cool story. But SOSIS is designed to listen to the, to the ocean, essentially, uh, and we put it in real vital areas, and we've just kind of extended it out ever since. So uh, it, it's mainly designed for surveillance, but you can, it's not just offensive surveillance. We, li- we, listen, we listen to it whenever we lose submarines. So when we lost the Thresher uh, and the Scorpion, they used SOSIS to figure out where it was. Uh, when the San Juan went down, the Navy used that system. It's, it's updated now. It's called uh, the underwater surveillance system now. Okay. But they used that system to, fi- to try to triangulate where the San Juan was. And that was how they actually figured out that it exploded underwater was because of that system. Really? Yeah. And so the thing about SOSIS is it's just a cable. It's just a cable wrapped in rubber with a bunch of old hydrophones on it. 
And eventually, like everything else, the Russians figured out about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the story is, I don't know if this is true, but apparently you've heard about the um uh, the USS Pueblo, that little that little boat that North Korea captured. Did you hear about that? I have not yet. They're like super proud of it, right? So if you watch any like North Korean documentaries, you know, they North Korea will like guide you from place to place to place as you tour their country or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Pueblo is one of them. And the Pueblo is uh it was a an environmental research vessel vessel that was off the coast of uh North Korea and they they basically attacked it and seized it. They captured the crew and uh did a bunch of stuff. Well, we said it was an environmental research boat, but everybody thinks that it that they were actually laying SOSIS cables next to North Korea so they could listen to their submarines. Oh, okay. So they they think that whenever they captured the Pueblo, they captured all the SOSIS information and so they sold it all to, to Russia obviously and so Russia found out about SOSIS. So what Russia did is they built a submarine with these little bitty like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms on the front and made it dive super damn deep and be able to basically sit on the bottom as a nuclear powered submarine, which is pretty special because nuclear powered submarines always have to, they have to constantly pump water through them. So you can't put them down on the bottom or the pump dirt and stuff into the reactor, into the, into the coolant system. And it's not good for it. Right. And so they designed this thing to do all this special stuff. And it would literally sit on the bottom in one spot and it would sit there and pick apart this cable. So they could pick apart, they could take pictures of it. They would tap it, whatever they were doing. Right. And they would go down and research it. And that's, they started, they started tapping into it and they started, you know, cutting the cables so that we could use them and kind of became this underwater war essentially. Right. Um, and so the Russians did the same thing. They developed their system that they laid out. And, and since Chinese have done it, they call it the underwater great wall. They've done it. So we have submarines that can go super deep and mess with these cables. Right. It's, it's a defense or, or an offensive tactic, really. And nobody knows about them. So we can go out there and attack each other on those things. And nobody, you can't really say anything about it, right? Because it's secret. You're not supposed to know about it. Right. It's not really there. Yeah. You know, so you can't like say we're going to start a war over something that doesn't exist, right? Gives them this little proxy where they can play with. And so, uh, <laughs> so that, that's what we've been doing ever since trying to tap those, those cables and cut them and play with them. And, you know, you know, they're trying to take, take advantage and win an underwater war or whatever. But on the, on the more civilian side, there's, submarine cables and just regular submarine cables and a vast majority of information is transferred on those things. So any of them, everything, the internet, you name it, all types of digital information go through these cables and they're all over the place. Uh, we have, we have a bunch that connect all the way from the United States to the UK and to Europe and they run all the way into the Atlantic. One, you know, one cable goes a whole way. So, you know, you could also take those submarines, go down there and cut those. So now all of a sudden you've lost a huge part of your, your internet or your, you know, information systems. Now you can't communicate with countries, you know, it's, it, it could be a, it could be a real clusterfuck if they, if they did a bunch of them at once. Oh, definitely. Cause I, I saw something on Wikipedia and it said from in 2006. So maybe this has changed a little bit. I'm not really sure, but it says overseas satellite links only accounted for 1% of the international traffic and the rest of it was done over submarine cables. Yeah, uh, satellites are super slow, and they have you know specific footprints, and sometimes you got to wait for them to come your way. Mm-hmm. They're just they're not reliable, 
and you can you can take them out pretty easily. You know, we've been able to take out satellites since we've basically been able to put them up. So, you know, it's a lot more difficult to take out underwater cables because you can't see. And they're so small, you can't just put a sonar down there and find them. Like, you literally got to go down there and hunt for these cables. And now, that you know, I'm sure they've gotten, this is in the 50s and 60s, I'm sure they've gotten really crazy with them. They probably bury them and they do all this other stuff. I have no idea. But you were talking about how the story about uh, the Russian submarine or the Russian uh, research vessel that was uh, floating over the cables. Yeah. You read a story about that? So that that vessel is called the Yontar. The the Yontar is a um, one of I think one of three Russian intelligence gathering vessels, right? They say it's a a, a sub like a submarine rescue vessel and it's supposed to do all these other things, but it, it's pretty obviously a spy ship. It's got this huge, huge dome on the top that's obviously to collect digital information that's in the air, right? Yeah. And so there was reports that this thing was floating around, I think it was like North Carolina or something like that, where there was supposedly some cables or something, but that ended up being false. I don't know if you've ever heard of OSINT, but it's, it's open source intelligence, right? So you can, you can basically gather information using Marine Tracker or, you know, the Navy's tweets or whatever it is, right? Any type of information you can find online, it could be Wikipedia, whatever, right? It's all open source intelligence, right? Right. And so, uh, a lot of these guys have gotten really good at it. And a lot of guys have gotten really specialized at it. Uh, one of the guys that I follow, his name is uh, Stefan Watkins, right? And he's a, a Canadian uh, researcher and he does, he's, he specializes in OSINT and tracking, live tracking ships, all kinds of ships, submarines uh, from all countries, you know, all, all kinds of things, right? And it scares a lot of people because he's basically telling everybody where these things are. And all he's using is just open source stuff. He's not, not giving away secrets right he's just a canadian guy in his house he's not like sitting at the cia office giving away secrets so he he got he's gotten really good at it and he was tracking the yontar at the time and i think we all i think it was around the time when the san juan went down well the yontar was one of the first on the scene when the san juan went down to help search for it that was what they they, they were there for a really long time i actually think they were longer than anybody else hmm. Uh, helping Argentina try to find the submarine. And so the story came out that they were over there sitting over our cables when they were really down by Argentina helping them. And we were watching them live. I remember seeing it specifically that, that the Yontar was down there. So I don't, I don't know like where this article got that information from or what happened, but it, it wasn't true. Regardless, that boat can do that. That that intelligence gathering ship can go over cables and it can mess with them. It has an ROV that sits underneath it uh, that you can't see, and that ROV can go down and mess with stuff. So I, it just, it'll just sit there and you won't even know what it's doing because there's a, a submarine underneath it that's already in the water doing its thing. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Is I know a lot of this stuff was done, you know, earlier, but now with today's technology, couldn't you just send down ROVs which can go to much deeper depths and try to screw around with them if you wanted to. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, I think we learned that when the, when the CIA tried to recover K-129, you know, that was when, the, that was like the CIA's biggest operation. You know, they, they tried to pull that submarine, that Russian submarine off the floor. And that's what they did. They basically built this giant ship with a moon pole in the center of it to go down there and try to lift this entire attack submarine off the ground. I mean, you can do it. 
you can hide stuff like that. I mean, we did it. We hit a hole. We, we, we could have lifted that whole entire submarine out of the water and ran with it if we wanted to. And they would have never have known. Never. They didn't even know where it was, you know? It's unreal. But it's totally possible. It's a, it's a, it's a really common tactic to just kind of float a boat over it. But that was also in the sixties and satellites weren't very good. I mean, nowadays the United States knows where they, they know where everybody is at any, at any time. Like they know where all ships are. I'm, I'm willing to bet, you know, I'm not, I'm not part of like Stratcom or anything, but <laughs> I would be willing to guess that they have a hundred percent eye on the world at this point and not just, and not just like with visual light. I mean, I'm sure they got infrared and all kinds of crazy ass shit. I mean, you know, they, the, there was, you know, rumors going for a long time that the United States has a satellite that's in the, in space that can track wakes. So submarines, even though they're, you know, let's say 500 feet underwater, mm-hmm. they still leave a wake. So yeah. you can use a satellite to track these wakes wow. that just kind of appear out of nowhere. Yeah. I guess that would make sense. I mean, it, it's got to be a really subtle wake, but any type of movement out there, that'd be, that'd be huge to know where it's at. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you're not going to track a submarine just using that, but you know, you, you pair that up with intelligence and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, people on the ground telling you that this boat's out there and you know that it's going this way. It's just another, another tool in the tool shed to know what's going on. Yeah. It gives you an idea of where to start looking. And that's a good visual reference that you can't be, you know, that th- those wakes don't come from nowhere. So. Right. Uh, so we talked. We've talked a lot about Russia, and a lot of people's favorite submarine online seems to be the Typhoon. And these were built from 1976 to 1988. And there's, from what I'm able to find, only one of them active. So what makes these boats so popular? Uh, Red October, hundred percent. That's I mean, what they're, it is. They're a cool, they're a cool ship too. Don't get me, they're a cool boat. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, I mean that 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 movie blew that submarine out of the water because people didn't know, they, people didn't know anything about submarines really. I mean, the '80s was when the Cold War really got big, and people were looking at the or the early '90s, late '80s, you know, and they were like, "Wow, this thing is legit. Look at this thing. This is a real thing." You know, people didn't have the internet and stuff like that. So, right. You know, they saw this thing and they were like, "Holy cow, this thing is enormous." And it is, it's huge. You know, if you've seen pictures of it, I mean, shit, the back rudder is like 20 feet tall or something, just half of it. I mean, it's crazy. It's so big. You know, they put a sauna and a pool in it and a gym and <laughs> even has like a little garden and stuff. I mean, it's crazy. It's a, such a weird, unique submarine. And, you know, I think people just love it because of Red October. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's all Americans, really. I mean, that's, that's their, I would I would say they probably don't admit that it's their favorite submarine, but I would say most of them probably do. Anytime you post anything on Reddit or Twitter about a typhoon or a picture, oh, it blows up. It blows up. My biggest tweet I've ever had was a, a, a picture of a typhoon sitting next to a cooler. You know, it had like 500 retweets, likes or whatever. So that that picture is that unreal. If anybody listening has not seen it, go. <laughs> on his Twitter and look at that photo, you just see the insane difference in size. It's, it's crazy. It, I mean, it just totally eclipses at a cooler class. Yeah. I have a, uh, it's, it's just pinned on my, on my tweet. So it's at the very top. And I actually put a, uh, if you look at the pier, there's a, some kind of supply truck or something 
Well, I found out what kind of supply truck that was, and I put a picture of it on there too, so you can see a comparison of that huge supply truck that's sitting on the pier yeah. compared to the Akula, compared to the Typhoon. I mean, it's it is an enormous machine, but but like you said, there's only one that's active, uh, and it's not even technically active. It's a it's a testing platform right now for the ballistic missiles. Okay, that's that's what I saw too. But I also saw that, talking about the size or whatever, I saw that this is two times as large as the U.S.'s Ohio class. Not not necessarily in length, but just like the entire size of it. It's basically the width. So that, that submarine is essentially two ballistic missile submarines welded side by side with a big hole around it. And... It, yeah, it's it's wide. It's really, really wide. Uh, ballistic, uh, U.S. ballistic missile submarines are 600 feet by 60 feet, mm-hmm. and this one's like 100 something feet wide. It's a, it's a huge, huge boat, and it it, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> They've come up with better. <laughs> you don't need that big of a submarine. It's super inefficient. It's hard as hell to upkeep something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why they only made three of them. They're so, they're so huge and they're they're inefficient you know i think asana is really cool but you don't need that shit you know you <laughs> yeah if, if we needed gyms on submarines we'd have them you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of things that are kind of useless and weird about the boat you know the soviets did a lot of pandering and saying they're taking care of their guys with shit like asana instead of doing proper maintenance and then they fucking lose their submarines and they they dump them in the ocean with reactors still active and they, you know, they, they kill their crew with having to send them in to reactors and stuff. It's, they, they don't, they, they took care of them with shit like saunas and not real safety. Well, thank God we have that pool. <laughs> you know, it's like Google. It's a lot cheaper to give you some stupid nap bubble thing that you can sleep in during lunch then it is to just pay you what you should get paid, you know, <laughs> same thing. Just a lot cheaper to make people think they're happy and safe than to just make it safe. Yeah. Yep. Totally understand. But yeah, they, the size of those things is cool. If anybody hasn't seen them, go ahead and look them up. They are impressive, especially for their age. That movie made it real famous and uh, there hasn't been any anything since. Nothing. Just that one movie. It's huge. Every yeah. time you post anything on Reddit or Twitter and you so what hint at that movie, you will get one ping only from at least 10 people, <laughs> at least one ping only. It just just quote after quote after quote after quote of Sean Connery, you know, <laughs> there you go. If you need to build your social network, start posting Hunt for Red October. Let's do it, guys. Oh, that's that's what I did, man. I'm not even gonna lie. You look at the subreddit page, yeah, and it's the you know the top posts are all typhoon related or something like that, you know, or with that movie. There's like pictures from the inside of the movie. It's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's huge. It still is really huge. You would think that like the USS Dallas would have gotten more popular in the United States. <laughs> Shit, no, nope. not really. <laughs> Most people couldn't even tell you where that thing's stationed at, or if it's even still active. You know. Well, speaking of movies, last uh, this is the last question here. This is a submarine movie podcast, and luckily, we have some great-looking submarine movies coming out very soon. We've got three releasing this year and one coming out next year. So, 
I'll go through here and I'll read the description on these things. And then you tell me what you're most excited for and why. All right. Okay. All right. So one we've got coming out this year, Blackwater, a deep cover operative awakens to find himself imprisoned in a CIA black site on a submarine starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, who we've seen in Agent Red. The next one is The Meg. So this isn't traditional submarine, more submersibles and that type of stuff, but there's only so many submarine movies, so we got to count some of them, all right? Right. (laughs) So after escaping an attack by what he claims was a 70-foot shark, Jonas Taylor must confront his fears to save those trapped inside a sunken submersible Starring Jason Statham, Rain Wilson, who people may know as Dwight from The Office, and Ruby Rose. Next, so, we, oh hold on, I want to stop right there. Sure. So, is this like an is this like a a personal submarine? Like what? I don't understand how a shark. I'm really confused by that one. It's <laughs> it's a huge shark. It's like seventy foot long, and uh, from what I've been able to see in the previews and stuff, there's some kind of underwater lab. And there's they're using submersibles to get around, and somebody must be trapped underneath. But it looks like it's going to be a vengeance against the shark type movie. So it's like Deep Blue Sea, but uh, <laughs> kind of newer, I guess. Yeah, isn't that the one with LL Cool J? <laughs> with yeah, <the> shark attacks <laughs> their little. Yeah, and Samuel Jackson, where he just gets eaten, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> they just killed Samuel. <laughs> yeah. that Maybe fast. it's the same shark. That's what it is. <laughs> Uh, next one, Hunter Killer, and this has a pretty great description. An untested American submarine captain teams with U.S. Navy SEALs to rescue the Russian president who's been kidnapped by a rogue general. Starring Gerard Butler, Gary Oldman, and Michael Nyquist. So that one seems pretty cool. I've, 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 I've heard about that one. An untested submarine captain seems really odd to send after... A vital target like the, <laughs> the Russian, Russian president, president, which is also very weird that the Navy SEALs are going to go res- go rescue Putin. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that sounds I think that sounds really cool, simply because uh, you're going to see a lot of other stuff like uh, the the SEAL delivery vehicles. I'm sure you're going to see mm-hmm. you know the lockouts. You're going to see all the cool all the cool SEAL stuff that you don't normally you know see in you know pictures of submarines or whatever but right. that's that's the that's the really unique stuff yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited for that one too and then the uh the last one's coming out next year is kursk the film follows the 2000 k141 kursk submarine disaster and the governmental negligence that followed as the sailors fight for survival their families desperately battle political obstacles and impossible odds to save them Starring again Michael Nyquist and Colin Firth. So I, yeah, I don't know if you've if you've done any research into like what they did, but they essentially lied to those people for a long time. When the curse went down, dude, it was it was a fucking tragedy, and they were they were basically lying to them. You know, the Russian government was like, "Oh, they're okay. We're gonna go down there and save them." And so everybody's like, "Hey, are you guys all right?" Like America and the UK, and we're all trying to send these people help. You know, like, "Hey, Russia, do you need help?" We got a shit ton of assets. We'll come and help you out. Mm-hmm. Russia's like, fuck you. You're not coming to go down there. You're just going to take secrets from us. So they 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 basically kept lying to the family, saying that they were alive, 
and they were pushing off help from everybody. So they weren't doing basically anything. They couldn't find it. They didn't know what to do. And, uh, the families got, they got really screwed in that deal. And I think, I think that would be a, is this supposed to be a documentary or? Uh, it's, it's not a documentary. It's, um, but I think it'll, you know, follow the story pretty closely. I think with something like that, you know, a delicate situation like that, they'll, won't try to deviate too much. You know, it's, it seems to be, uh, maybe it's just a Russian thing because the Chinese and other, other communist socialist type, you know, governments don't really do this, but the Russians are really bad about lying to their people and just faking that everything's okay. And that was a real big one. That was when a lot of people got super pissed off because, I mean, they were just literally lying to their faces at one point. Everybody knew that those guys were probably dead or gone or whatever. And they were just like, yeah, everything's okay. We're going to go get them. They're still breathing. They're still alive. It, it was, a, it was a really messed up deal. So it's a, it's a good lesson for countries to not follow yeah so out of out of those four what are you most excited for oh man you know if that if that kursk movie is real accurate and it has like you know maybe maybe video from the actual families and they talk to people and stuff and it mm -hmm. is kind of documentary-ish i think that's going to be amazing yeah but like you said it, it doesn't really look like that it may just be some guy talking about what happened so i don't know i think that would that has the best i think that has the most promise mm -hmm. but that hunter killer movie sounds fantastic man. <laughs> that thing is gonna be so good it, it does it's got it's got a nice lineup i mean don't get me wrong jean claude van damme and Dolph lundgren are that's 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 awesome because i'm a huge 80s martial arts movie fan kickboxing you name it but um to have those two guys would be cool but i don't know man that hunter killer movie just it sounds so good it's it sounds like they got the money. You know, if they got Gerard Butler, they probably got the money to do it right. Yeah. And if they if they research it right and they don't turn it into a fucking and as as good as Red October is, it's really inaccurate. Yeah. As long as they don't turn it into a super inaccurate movie like that, and it's just you know two magical underwater vessels fighting each other, going through canyons and shit, it's gonna be stupid. But if they keep it accurate and they make it detailed, I think it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, I mean they've got they've got big names. I mean Gary Oldman. Just one best actor, he's gonna be in it. So Yeah. It it could be very fun. I've I've got high hopes and I hope they do not let me down. I am too. And I'm getting ready to do this uh this this submarine uh ask me anything and I'm maybe I can get some of those guys to join in on it. I don't know. We'll see. You should. That'd be good. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Well, all right. I mean, that's that's all I've got uh, for this. Is there anything else uh, you want to talk about today? Or um, no, not really. You know, just make sure you subscribe to the to the subreddit page, our submarines. Uh, I'm putting together a, a submarine. Ask me anything with a and as many credible submariners as I can. Uh, submariners, authors. I got all, man. I got a huge lineup going. So that's gonna be awesome. Look for that coming out. Do you know when it's going to be, or is it still a little ways in the works? So I've still got to schedule it. It just depends on how long it takes for people to confirm, because I've, I've got to kind of explain what they are. A lot of people don't know what Reddit is, so mm -hmm. I've got to kind of explain what it is and how it works and work out the logistics of it. And I'm still waiting for people to confirm. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got Captain Ramsey. He's the, the Perisher uh, instructor, which is the super crazy submarine program. 
Um, I've got uh, a couple of uh, active submariners in the works. I got some chief of the boats. I got I got a I got a lot of I got a cool lineup that I'm working on. So if everything works out right, I may have a few famous people who know. So that sounds awesome. Everybody, be on the lookout for it, and I'm sure you'll be posting about it on Twitter. Uh, everybody, follow Eric. What you want to say? Your handle? It's a at King Neptune seven six seven all one word. And he posts all sorts of great stuff. If you wanna, if you wanna check out that AMA, just go to, uh, just go to the subreddit, and it's pinned to the top. You can see the list of people that are involved in it and who I'm working on. And if you're a submariner or you know somebody who is, you throw on there who, who you think would be cool. So awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no problem, man. It's always fun. Thanks for listening to Submersion. Find us on SoundCloud and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Can't get enough of us? Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday. And if you like what you heard, please go ahead and give us a rating.